Hello again, friends! And you are our friends, and welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru right here. Now, whatever day you find it here in the spring, a nice, beautiful day. The so what? nice. The what? The, the, the what? The what? Oh, the what? You spring. just said a beautiful day in the spring? I, I forgot what season it is. God damn it. Continue. Well, it's so nice here in the spring. <laughs> The gardeners have all decided to show up. You're going to hear noise because it's the big oh, deal. I, I think it's the cleanup for the spring. <laughs> it's the big one. You're going to hear noise, noise, no, noise. It's the fall cleanup, and uh, they brought the big truck and all the... Uh, oh, the big truck is out there now. Rum, 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 rum. The one that carries like... like button. They like... It's almost like the military. They drive these things out of the truck and just yeah, they almost like the military. Why do you think those people in fatigues are jumping out from under that canvas in the back? I have theories. But here we are on another fine spring day on the drive-thru. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. We are going to get through this intro. It's only been 90 seconds. And I have uh, a man here with reviews, <laughs> and I have questions for him. <laughs> and I have a song, and here he is, the star of the show, Mr. Jim Cornette. You son of a bitch. Now you've... I think not only have you stolen my open, you may have given me a nosebleed. Uh, my face hurts. Uh, I was going to say at the outset here of this episode that I'm glad it's your show because you cannot imagine if you opened your mind up to all the possible mind-expanding things that you couldn't possibly dream in your wildest imagination, really how little of a shit I give today, you couldn't wrap your brain around it. So I was going to, you can carry this thing. I'm right there. And then you. you don't even know within six months of a fucking <laughs> margin of error what goddamn time of year it is. Are you on the fucking, are you on some drugs? Are you snorting that marijuana? Oh, I wish. Right now, I'd really love to just turn off the mic and just sit in the room and play the electric bass all day. And and one of these days, if you learned how to play music on it, you'd really fucking have something going there. You know, you're Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion. And we just, we gloss over that on the experience every week. We just say it as a matter of course, like everybody knows it. It's obvious. It's empirical evidence that this is what you are. But I'm wondering, do people know why we call you Hawaiian, Brian? Because the people of the 50th state, because of your, the immense amount of time you've spent over there and the bond that you've formed with the native, the island people, they've taken you as one of their own. That's why we call you Hawaiian Brian. How many, how much time, how many trips have you made over there to the great Hawaiian islands? Well, I can't disclose uh, too many of them just because of the nature of uh, some of those trips, but I could say that I've been there on multiple you've been, occasions. You've been, you've been there, I think multiple occasions would be twice. That would still be a accurate description I, I of cannot confirm occasions. nor deny due to the nature of these trips. I can only say multiple times. But you probably spent, what, months at a time over there on your tour. Was it weeks or was it, was it the weekend package from Aloha Airlines? It wasn't the weekend. Aloha Airlines. It wasn't Aloha Airlines, no. And uh, no, I would say altogether uh, months. All, altogether. If you add up the undisclosed amount of multiple visits. Yeah, yeah. That have been made. Well, by... what, what about the 49th state is where I was going with this. Are you planning to take any trips on Alaska Airlines coming up anytime soon? No, but everyone I know who goes there tells me I should. They tell me that the cruises up there are beautiful. They tell me that it's uh, 
It's really just about the cruises. I don't know if anyone wants to be on the land. <laughs> well, I think I think if you if you jump onto a ticket real soon on Alaska Airlines, they may be offering some specials here coming up. Did you hear about this? No, I do not know what you're talking One about. One of their no. off-duty pilots, you know what oh, the deal is. I did see yeah, this. Yeah, you did hear about this. Yeah. Oh, see, there you go. The deal is if you're a pilot with an airline, then if you want to go somewhere, you can ride the jump seat. Like I used to ride on Crockett's little G2. Was it a G? Yeah, it was a G1, a Gulfstream. The very first iteration of that plane. I'd ride on the little jump seat behind the real pilots. Well, apparently they let the real pilots ride on the jump seat when they're off duty behind the real pilots. And one of the Alaska Airlines pilots that was riding in the jump seat they said he tried to turn the engines off in mid-flight to wake himself up from a dream that he thought he was having because he'd been up for 48 hours before boarding the flight and he's been battling depression, so he took psychedelic mushrooms, which sounds like a perfect combination. Good idea. Mushrooms, depression, sleep deprivation, and now he's facing 83 counts of attempted murder. So I'm, I'm thinking we need an Alaskan vacation, Brian. Must have been some good shit. Well, I guess that really backs up your uh, claim that it's just a death tube in the air. How many lawsuits are going to come out of that? I, can you imagine that you're riding along and we, they didn't know anything was happening apparently in the cockpit, aptly named, until... The pilots grabbed the guy's hands and, and pushed the levers back up. And even the guy was like, I, I guess I better, I better go. And they got him out of the <laughs> cockpit. And the fucking stewardess apparently told some of the passengers, yeah, this guy's having a mental breakdown. But don't worry. But now he's, he's uh, among other charges, he's got 83 counts of attempted murder because however many people was on the plane, if he'd have turned the engines off, hello, goodbye. And it's, uh, it, 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 it wasn't even turning the engines off. It was, he was going to cut the gas like this is in case of a fire or whatever. He's going to cut the gas to the gas tanks so they wouldn't have been able to just like Oh, golly, let me put it back in drive. Anyway, now you see, again, nobody has ever tried to cut the fucking gas to my expedition while I was in the middle of driving it. That you know of. No, I keep an eye on these things. Did you I'm see? I'm the only one in the cockpit. They just put out a book about the making of airplane. I just got it. I don't have. Uh, it's in one of these piles over here. But it's the I'm, making I of must, airplane. I must have it then, because I did not know that this existed. But go ahead. We always talk about what you were into, you know, when you were a teenager or towards the end of your teens. Was airplane a big movie for you? Oh, good lord! Yes, I mean that's the one of the ones you went and saw, you know, multiple times in the in the actual theater. Well, that's before home video so you weren't going to see it on VHS for a while anyway but oh yeah multiple times because you had to get all the shit and then then once you remembered where the shit was you could do the punchlines with every you know everybody on the fucking screen so yes and then when police squad 
became a much heralded six fucking episode <laughs> TV series. Uh, the movies, the movies are better than the shows for uh, Naked Gun in terms of those characters, I think. Well, yes, but well, they couldn't really do them justice in 22 minutes on network. But, you know, but still, they could have at least done 13 just to say they did. Did you ever see the Kentucky Fried movie? Oh, yes, but but better than Kentucky Fried movie was the Groove Tube. Yeah, my old neighbor what? used to own that. What, the, the rights to the Groove Tube? No, my, my, my family's neighbor in Lido Beach, the Frank family, uh, Cy Frank and his partner Sid Sinatar owned movie theaters, and they went to some convention in like 70, whatever, 72, 73, and they bought the rights to Groove Tube. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I didn't even know that until like years later I was talking to Sid Sinatar and he just mentioned that they own Chevy Chase's first film. I said, Groove Tube? He goes, yeah, how the hell did you know that? Well, he didn't say hell. He was a very nice older man. He's a very nice, non-potty-mouthed man. But, well, what, then in that case, get me a, a nice DVD because I, my Groove Tube, my copy of Groove Tube on uh, tape is, uh, no, I did upgrade. I do have a VHS, but my original one was a beta that I copied from the commercial videotape with the help of a copy guard eliminator back when you had to have those type of things. And as a matter of fact, Airplane was on the same beta tape as the Groove Tube, I'll have you know, which I still have around here somewhere, possibly on my office shelf. Go ahead. But back to Airplane, there was some story, I was flipping through the book, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but apparently Peter Graves, after the movie came out, it was pretty big. He's what I don't know what prompted this. I gotta go back and read this. He was in a store one day and he saw some kid with his mom. And he just leaned over and he said, Do you like gladiator films? <laughs> and the mom like grabbed the kid and ran out of the store. <laughs> At least he didn't ask if he'd ever seen a grown man naked. Do you know who was originally up for the role that Kareem Abdul Jabbar got? I do not. Pete Rose. But he did he he couldn't get his fee in cash. I don't know. Or uh, they didn't take bets on the set. I'm not sure. Would it have been his fun as funny? No, Kareem was perfect. Yeah. He was perfect. Because I, I think Pete Rose would have just naturally cussed the kid out too quickly. So Naked Gun, do you like the Naked Gun? Well, it just depends on if anybody's around, you know, naked and everything. Um, no, the, the, the rest of the whole... Uh, series or spinoffs or whatever, yes, okay, but I have the soft spot for Airplane and the original shit and, and Police Squad. The the groundbreaking original stuff, where they were still coming up with this type of thing. And then it got out of hand like everything else does. Where the woman who, who uh, went on to play Tony Soprano's mom plays the marriage, she's yelling at Leslie Nielsen, Frank Drebin, about how he Shot some people in the park. He goes, hey, listen, I see people getting stabbed in the park. I shoot them. I'm a cop. <laughs> that was a performance of Shakespeare in the park, you moron. <laughs> uh, well, well, it's your show. Oh, did I mention? Yes. By the way. I think so. Well, I'll mention it again. No, I haven't because I just got this since I last talked to you. My driver's license, as you'll recall that I went over to the place and did the thing to apply for my license, but not like the old days where they could just hand you one right there. They, oh, it'll be a couple of weeks, you'll get it in the mail. Well, it didn't take that long. I got it in the mail a little bit quicker than they said, and 
Brian, you know, a lot of times people, they don't like their driver's license picture. And I thought my last picture, you know, accurately represented me. I didn't have any complaints about it. I don't really care about, you know, what my driver's license picture looks like. I'm not one of those people. It's just vain about it. It's me. I don't change much. But I figure, well, this one, certainly now they've, they've upgraded all this stuff and they're, they're uh, taking so much more time with it. Maybe they've upgraded the photographic equipment or it's going to be a more attractive design or maybe it's going to be a bright blue for the bluegrass state or whatever the case, right? I get my driver's license back. It's in black and white. What? The whole goddamn license, the picture and everything is in black and white. You sure you went to a real place? Have you ever seen a black and white driver's license? I have not. Not in real, not in real life. No, not unless it's like it, a kid photocopying something. It looks like a Civil War picture. I should have been holding a long rifle and wearing some kind of fucking tri-cornered hat with possibly a long beard and a, a determined look on my face. We can win this one. And remember I said, now they've got the what the the smart ID, right? If you go in the courthouse or you get on a, a, a international flight or whatever, I I told him I said I don't want anything smart. I just want something that will identify me and and allow me to drive if accosted by a police officer. Oh, so that's what right? it is. That's that explains. Well, wait it. a minute. What's still? That's what I had before, and it was in beautiful color. With it was actually had a a farm scene with a farm fence and a little goddamn horse in the background for Kentucky. And and so, but now, but besides the black and white, listen to this. I said, I just want the regular driver's license so I can drive, right? And so I can identify myself. Guess what it says across the top of the fucking driver's license? I don't know. In big block letters, not a real ID. Because that's what they call the new smart licenses in Kentucky is the real IDs. So they're telling you this is not a real ID, meaning not the smart ID. But basically, so you try to go to a fucking club, right? You go try to show this to get in. Fucking Satchmo or little fucking corn cob at the door goes, hey, boss. Somebody's trying to get in, looks underage. Well, what does a license look like? It says it's not a real ID. Well, then kick him out. Well, I think most people are probably going to go for the real ID. You're one of the rare exceptions. <laughs> well, and also, I probably could get into a drinking establishment with a visual inspection rather than goddamn carding, but, but that's just so stupid. It's not a real ID. It's a government-issued ID for you to identify yourself and drive. You just can't get on an international flight or go in the goddamn courthouse, which I have no plans to visit and never shall. Is it like the same stock of paper as a regular driver's license? Oh, it, it's, or? It's, it, yes, it's laminated so that you can stick it in your wallet, but it's black and, and it's uh, it, the picture looks like it was transmitted of Neil Armstrong stepping on the fucking moon. I mean, I could, I could be, I could middle, uh, be a middle-aged lesbian woman. You couldn't fucking tell. No, we couldn't. It's horrible. Do you think this is something, not that we would encourage this, we certainly wouldn't, Stephen P. New. Um, 
But is this something that would be easy to forge or create on your own? If you were a kid, if you were anyone who, for some reason, couldn't get a real ID, can you create one of these? Does it look like that quality? Well, I mean, I don't know. It looks like shit to me, to the naked eye. I didn't eyeball it with the thought to fucking counterfeit it since I counterfeit it. Counterfeit it. Counterfeit it since I already got one. But it, it, I think if you had a, the lamination process would probably be the most difficult procedure unless there's something on there that I'm not goddamn seeing. I'd, I, otherwise, I don't know. If, I've had fucking fa- wrestling fan club membership cards that look more attractive and professional in this thing. Hey, what do you think when you get something for your wrestling collection, but it's already been laminated? What? You ever get something like an old newspaper clip or something and someone laminated it? No. Yeah, and I've gotten a few things like that. That's I hate horrible. It. I hate it. it. Drives me crazy. Well, if it I mean if it was professionally done as part of a framing process or whatever, I can see something like that, but not just a you know, oh here. What do you you might want to do something else with that? What are you gonna do with it now? Stare at it. I guess. Well, there you go. You know, I've got news on stuff you can stare at. Can we get to that now so Uh, we can get this over with? Once again, Stephen P. New, I'm not sure. Stuff we can stare at. Well, no, I'm not inviting anybody to stare. No, I can't bear up under close inspection anymore. It has to be dim lighting and distractions going on. But no, I'm talking about an update on a lot of the the fine merchandise that the fans have ordered at Cornette's Collectibles over at jimcornette.com, including the incredible Midnight Express 40th Anniversary four-pack of action figures, the entire set that comes with the book, the photo, the certificate of authenticity. I'll have you know that a lot of people have been now inquiring because they've seen people uh, uh, tweeting about their packages arriving And we did have the pre-order period in September where we got the incredible influx of orders. I'll have you know that not only obviously have all the pictures been signed to specifications, everybody's order was locked in as soon as they made it. We got all the personalizations, got all the pictures signed. The feather bottoms have been hard at work. They started mailing out before the end of, of September and out of around 1,200 and some odd packages. They are halfway there, so they're doing pretty good, but there are still, as as you obviously can do the math, several hundred to be yet put in the mail stream. And some people have been asking, and we are working our little fingers to the bone on that. And Brian, here's the thing. This is why we put these on sale and nothing else and did the pre-order period, because people say, well, They've sold them, now they should just send them. Well, as to paraphrase Seinfeld, it's not the taking of the reservation. It's the holding of the reservation. It's not the taking of the order, it's the fulfilling the order. But think about this. All of a sudden, around 1,250 people say, I want this done just this way. So then you've got to write out the photo Hello, little Johnny. Congratulations on your tonsillectomy, Jim Cornette. Gee, thanks. Well, there you go, and you got some ice cream, too, didn't you? Sherbert. 
Well, I don't care what the orderly's name was. It gave you the ice cream as long as he gave you the ice cream. <laughs> but nevertheless, then I put that in a, a file folder with the order number, the five-digit order number of that particular order. And I did that 1,200 and some times. And then I handed it off to the feather bottoms. And you see the action figure set, because this is a valuable and limited edition collectible. There's only 2,000 in the world, and there's only about 750 more chances for you to get them. They come in a crush-proof cardboard box. So the feather bottoms over there, and Fannie and Felcher, as you know, are only working with one arm apiece. They have to fold up the crush-proof box and tape it together. Then... They take the action figure set, the 28-page full-color book, the specific photo that goes with that order number to Little Johnny about his tonsillectomy, and the certificate of authenticity. They wrap that in bubble wrap. They set it inside the crush-proof box, sprinkle packing peanuts on, and tape the top. Then they print out the label for shipping and press it upon the top of the deal. And then when they get about 100 of them together, they truck them over to the post office. We have come to figure that just their part alone takes between five and seven minutes per package. And there's 1,250 or so packages. So that means that if one of them did nothing else for eight hours a day except that, it'd still take a couple of weeks. So we think we're doing pretty good. But everything's on the way, and since all the other fine products, including the Cornet Face T-shirts, the Cult Cornet Membership Certificates, and so much more, are now back on sale, that's a separate department. That's a separate department, and as I believe we mentioned, Cousin Lupus is handling that. So the, the, the turnaround on that, the non-Midnight Express action figure department, is only a couple weeks right now at jimcornett.com. Make all your friends happy for the holidays with the fine merchandise, affordable prices, and quality service. I didn't say quick, but I did say quality. All right. Crush-proof, you say? Crush-proof. You can stand on the son of a bitch. Really? Want to put your money where your mouth is? Well, did I say who? I didn't say who you was. <laughs> well, who are you talking about? Who could stand the on The royal it? you. A human being will find a kid. A kid? A small child, about two years old. Make sure both feet go on the corners. All right. And then here you go. Well, it was another uh, crush-proof episode of Dynamite this mm. past week or this week or yesterday whatever that, was, God, whatever's it, happening it happened it was, and we saw most of it it was last night as we speak it was mere hours ago i don't see how you could put something like this out of your memory i can't if we're still talking when the ratings come in or when the levy breaks whichever <laughs> phrase might describe what the fuck that's going to look like Jesus, Mary and Joseph, what was going on? They usually do a good number when the show's really awful. That's why well, I don't have any faith in... Well, in that case, in... we're looking at a record-setting fucking run here, folks. Do you remember, Brian, we, we, since this back and forth, it, it, we started calling it a wrestling war, then it 
I think we've settled into, as I referenced the other day, Tony's tilting at some windmills. But at various points over the last three years or whatever, we've said, you know, AEW might just, they might just be ready to make a run at this thing. And then three or four weeks later, they'd shoot themselves in the foot some fucking how. And then every once in a while, we would say, you know, it looks like the WWE is trying to throw this thing. And then something would happen and they'd get a little better. And then every once in a while, we'd say, you know, it looks like neither side wants to win this. But then something would happen. But now I think it has come down to the WWE is going to get richer than they've ever been while boring us all to tears. And AEW, they apparently are going to be locked up in a proverbial padded cell as a program for completely melting down on the air. And I guess they're trying to attract viewers now by making people want to... How do the kids say it? Watch it ironically? In other words, hey, look at this stupid shit. You got to see this silly-ass bullshit. Is that how they're going to mount their offensive? I don't know, and things could always happen, and there's been word recently that there are a lot of WWE contracts coming up for 2024 that have not been renewed yet. I don't know who exactly, or... Oh, boy, that's exactly what they need. Well, what I was going to say is, it feels to me like AEW has hit a point. Like, remember there was, op you know, I hate to go back to TNA again, but remember when there was optimism around TNA, like, you know what, there's a real shot. I was there for a point of that. And then after it didn't work out, it kind of never, it just trolleyed along and it still is, but nothing ever happened. The audience never got bigger again. With AEW, it's not become, it's becoming a worse and worse show where you watch it and you're like, what the fuck is AEW doing? And I've been watching since the beginning. I've seen all sorts of stupid shit. Lately, there's fucking home invasions. Fucking bad segments in homes. <sighs> There's the person writing the show should be confined to a home. And that's the other problem. Whether you like AEW or not, and a lot of these guys, obviously, as everyone knows, really get to do what they want, but Tony wants to put his stamp on things. The same guy's writing the show today that was writing it four years ago, whatever. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And right now, they're at a point in time where they have to renew their deal, apparently, with their partner at Warner Brothers Discovery, and they're going to... We have established through Tony's own slipping lips that Warner owns some part of this thing, whether or not they have any say in creative or voting. How did, how did he phrase it? Any of the voting, he has 100% of that, but they got a piece of this thing. We can say that we've heard from a few sources, and then actually another one got in touch a couple of weeks ago after we talked about something on the air, and everyone says the same thing. These are people with connections outside of wrestling, just media reporters who are not wrestling fans. The word on the street is that Warner Brothers Discovery owns a piece of AEW. Now, whether that means they literally own a piece of it with Shad and Tony, or whether that means while they are on Warner Brothers Discovery program, while their programs, I should say, are on Warner Brothers Discovery Television, they get a 
allotted split of profits. That's interesting because remember, we keep hearing from Tony's own lips that Warner Brothers Discovery wants more pay-per-views. They want Wonder monthly why. Pay- they want monthly pay-per-view. They want to get money monthly. So we don't know exactly what the deal is, how it's structured. But I could say, again, we now have, like I think, three different people outside of wrestling. Word on the street is that Warner Brothers Discovery has a piece of it. So we'll see and what that means. Is this company starting to become one of those that the TV network knows? Well, we're not going to get a lot of people, but we're going to get a smaller number that are very loyal. We're not, if we're getting a piece of the pay-per-view, we're not going to get a big number on pay-per-view like goddamn, you know, a multi-million dollar Conor McGregor fight, but we're going to get, there's a hundred thousand of these people will buy anything we put out every month, every week, even whatever the case. Are they, are they starting to look at it like that? We don't know how they're looking at it, but here's what we could say. Not to take anything away from any of the misdeeds of Vince McMahon and not to forgive him for any of them. This isn't about that. But when a network dealt with Vince McMahon, if you ever hear any interviews and anyone who's done business with him, they feel like they're dealing with a serious person who knows what he's doing and is more than likely in control of himself. Yes. Tony's a different kind of person. So you're David Zasloff or anyone who's an executive over there, whoever replaces Zasloff eventually. You're dealing with a different animal, and it's his company. It's his baby. It's his project. I mean, I joked about it. It's his trust fund. I mean, this is his money. Yeah. It's a different thing. I mean, do they think Tony is as serious as a serious business person? Have any of the, whatever you want to call them, scandals, self-induced scandals, embarrassing episodes time after time after time? Has anyone over there gotten a little tired of that? We don't know. Is there anyone over there who's still just, we really need and want wrestling on the network? We don't know. You know, and again, it goes back to, we don't know the nature of, the exact nature of the AEW Time Warner Discovery relationship. And the problem with these media scrums and media interviews that Tony does, he loves doing them. And people in wrestling media typically want to be there and be part of the action. But who's getting a real question answered? He doesn't answer anything about any of this stuff. And it's a private company. So we don't know very much, but it's impossible to tell me you could look at AEW right now where they are and the direction of the programming and think that things look good. Well, speaking of ugly television programming, let's talk about last night. Because I wish somebody at the scrums, (laughs) could they just... (laughs) Jot down notes on Wednesday nights to ask Tony about, okay, what was this supposed to mean in seg four of this show when you did this or that? Maybe you could answer those questions. Um, The first half an hour was apparently meant to put MJF in the middle of everything. Everything going on in the company now revolves around MJF. And because there's... Tony's got him stuck again with the Ring of Honor tag team belts with a partner that he never sees because he's off at fucking the other guy's house and he needs surgery and a blah, blah, blah. So they start the show with Renee Moxley Good in the back with MJF 
And she asks, obviously, about Adam Cole. Well, yeah, and he calls Adam Cole on his phone. This is the start of the show. They're just doing a backstage pre-tape. And Adam answers. And as soon as he does, in come Roderick Strong, neck brace, flea collar, whatever, and the in the wheelchair with Taven and Bennett. And as soon as Adam hears them, he cuts the call off and, okay. And then Roddy offers MJF to, you know, they'll be, the three of them will be his help against the Bullet Bang Club gang. And, you know, even if he was the guy in the devil mask, they don't care. They'll help him anyway. So you got one guy to neck brace in a wheelchair offer to back you up. That's an attractive proposition. So MJF shoves Roddy's wheelchair back out of frame and Taven and Bennett run after him. And suddenly it's like he rolled off a cliff because they're just gone. Right. That was my favorite part. Well, yeah, he couldn't have rolled it. How far could he have fucking gone? <laughs> You'd still hear some, oh, stop me, or whatever, but it just, uh, gone. That's, he should have screamed. I mean, he screams every episode for no reason. Why not? Ah! Yeah, it just instantly, boom. And then MJF, this is the thing. He turned to the camera and immediately goes into, from shoving a guy in a comedy spot in a wheelchair to a fired-up promo on Gin and Juice all of a sudden where he's screaming and his neck is, you know, veins are popping. And then the video scrambles and the guy in the devil mask pops up and then it scrambles again and they go into the show open. And I'm like, gee, they went from comedy to horror in 60 seconds. What... It's schizophrenic. And again, wait till we get to the rest of the program. But again, they're they're going from a fucking late 50s hammer film to goddamn to the groove tube. And what the fuck? Help me. I can't. I can't help you. MJ and MJF went from the goofiness of the phone and then the Roddy interaction, every interaction with Roddy's goofy, to cutting a serious promo. What did he say? He's gonna put a bullet in Juice Robinson, or what? No, he's got a he's got a bullet with his name on it because the Bullet Club and the play on words. But he's screaming and he's mad. It's like suddenly he went from oh, I understand why Adam, you'd want to hang up on me with this weasel here and shoving him in the wheelchair. To suddenly, I'll kill you. And he's trying to do everything. And you can tell that Tony realizes he's got nobody left on his fucking roster that creates on their own interesting, compelling television. He fired the other guy. And so he's interacting MJF with every fucking body. And because of that, MJF not only is being spread too thin, but also he's having to go from this emotion to that emotion to this emotion from zero to 60 and back again from being violently angry to putting up with some fucking, we'll get to the caster thing to fucking everything in between. And it's goddamn it's, it's dragging him down instead of him lifting the company. The company is an albatross around MJF's neck. 
and this method of presentation for him is not a long-term deal. As we're seeing, babyface MJF is having to suffer more fools than heel MJF would have, and that's why heel MJF got over. But speaking of suffering, let's continue with the program. So the first match was the Dynamite Diamond Ring match with MJF and Juice Robinson. And I thought I thought it ironic that Juice got Juice in this match. But um, it, this should have been a jump start. And it should have been hot. And he should have been MJF kicking the shit out of the heel, which they did do. I'm not faulting that, but... <laughs> When they went to the floor, he throws him into the rail. He throws him over the table. Okay, that's good stuff, too. They were on the floor for fucking ever. And one time, in like a three-minute period, MJF rolls in the ring to break the count, flips the referee off. He's trying. But God damn it. The whole match for the first until they went to the break pretty much was on the floor when the guns distracted him and Juice took over. Finally, it got a little heat going, and they got back in the ring. But Juice, again, has way more oomph than Jay White. I don't know why that they somehow decided that Jay White should be the singles guy in this. And I think they're both better as a team with Juice doing the talking. I'm not advocating that Juice should be the world champion either. But we know pretty much Jay White will be the most blasé, fucking boring world champion since Hangnail Page. And anyway, as I spoke about Jay White saying, boy, Juice has more oomph than he does, Jay White came out and they went to the break. They were keeping this moving at the, at the first half, even though they were out on the floor, boom, boom, boom. And I thought when they came back from the break, when Juice went to choke again MJF with his own scarf they'd done that a time or two but MJF turned it around that's great that's a a, a heel who switched babyface giving a heel a taste of his own medicine he needs to do a little bit more of that yes and the people like it but the referee turned around and caught him and didn't call a disqualification but if the if the heels are going to distract so the heel can do that's when the baby face turns it around, but does it behind the referee's back. You can't just have the referee turn around and catch him. That spoils the whole fucking deal. Anyway, uh, then suddenly after Juice gouged his eyes, MGF just made a comeback at 100 miles an hour. And again, I like both these guys work better than most everybody in AEW, so this was still a better match than anything else we're going to see tonight. But finally, it 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 picked up there with MJF's comeback. He milked the kangaroo kick and hit it and got the big pop. But then Juice stopped him again. And MJF hit an eye poke, but Juice hit the left and a power bomb. And then they start slowing down. Again, that's a thing. Either they're trying to fill the time or they think they need to do these ups and downs, but on something like this, they had them going. <laughs> they should have kept it going. But Juice foiled the heat seeker, but MJF did a dive on the guns, and Juice stopped him again and got a two count. And that it was slowing down a little there. Finally, 
The guns drew the referee and Juice went for the fake ring and MJF went for the real ring. And MJF's the one that landed the punch and then nailed both of the guns off the apron, hit the heat seeker on Juice, one, two, three. So to that point, as a match and following along with what has been done before, the fake ring, the real ring, the matches for the Dynamite Diamond Ring, the only question I have in the logic is if the match is for the ring, why didn't the referee have the real ring? But nevertheless, as it was, that was fine. Right guy won. Match was pretty good. Juice got juice, but it wasn't a, a ridiculous Moxley blood feast or whatever. It was natural. So far, not too bad. What did you what grade would you give? This segment before we descend into madness, Brian. I don't know about grade, but I thought it was pretty good. MJF, I actually believed him when he was selling his face. I mean, it looked that bad when he uh, hit the stairs. Juice Robinson has that quality that guys like Piper had. And then I'm not comparing him to Roddy Piper. I'm just saying everything he does in the match, you can't take your eyes off him. He's yelling. He's making movements. He's making noise. Not movements like you would call happy feet. But like the right movements. Right. And a unique way of moving in his body language. And you can't take your eyes off him. And uh, I like how vocal he is during the match. You hear his voice screaming and it works. He's the best one in Bullet Club Gold. Selling like an auctioneer, as the boys used to say. And I agree with you. He should be the main guy, not Jay White. Well, but here we go. Because the end of the match is never the end of this thing. So now MJF has beaten Juice Robinson and the guns jump in and start kicking the shit out of MJF. And then suddenly, Taven and Bennett wheel Roddy to the ring. He's still in the wheelchair and the neck brace and and they wheel him to the ring and then Taven and Bennett roll in and get in a four-way with the guns. And apparently in this instance, are, are Taven and Bennett baby faces because they're making a save on the biggest baby face to company against two heels. I don't know, but nevertheless, the guns kick shit out of Taven and Bennett and drop them both back to the floor. Whereupon they just quit trying to come back in. You don't see them again for a while or Roddy. The guns dump both them over the top and Jay white comes in. And now all four of the heels just pick MJF up and they're leisurely going to have their way with him to perform various acts of mayhem and penetration that are obviously not going to be pleasant. And then suddenly the acclaimed music plays. And here comes Caster and Bowens and Billy Gunn. And those three baby faces hit the ring and the four heels in the ring with the high ground, with the fucking title belt, and the diamond ring, or the fake ring, all bail out on before the acclaimed and Billy can even touch him. Because I guess that that's too close to being even odds. So then the heels leave and run to the entranceway while the acclaimed check on MJF, and then Jay White gets the microphone. And Jay White and the microphone should never be used in the same sentence. We've come to find this out. 
because I swear to God, he'd been doing commentary through the match. Color at the desk, but I could block that out because I never listened to the announcing here anyway. And mostly he was just screaming, come on, Juice, and all that stuff. But now he's cutting a promo that he's blown up like he's had a match. And it sounds like an indie guy playing fucking wrestler. It's whiny and it's not convincing and it's not verbiage and delivery and inflection that grabs you or captivates you. It's some fucking indie guy with a goddamn man bun cutting a promo. Am I overstating this? I mean, you make me hate him more than I do every time you start going through this because I can't really debunk anything you're saying. Again, he's good in the right setting. It's just that setting is never in the ring in front of people with a live mic. Or 20 minutes into a goddamn segment of him and his gangbang gang. I don't think that's their name. I think they're the Bang Bang the... Gang. Well, bang bang, my baby shot me down. So he's got MJF's belt and he ain't getting it back. When they go to WWE, will they become the banging enthusiasts? <laughs> no, because they're not allowed to trademark that because WWE already has bangers trademarked for the brutes. Oh, that's right. So they'll have to that's be the right. clangers. Bangers you versus the, clangers at Mania? You got, the, you got the hangers, the clangers, the bangers. It's going to be a whole, it's going to be faction warfare. So let me, now this is going to be hard enough to keep up with anyway. Now, here, so let me try to do this. So White cuts the promo that he's got MJF's title belt and MJF ain't getting it back from him. And then Colton Gunn cuts a promo, tells MJF that they, the guns, want a Ring of Honor tag team title match at full gear which would necessitate them wrestling MJF at full gear, correct? Because he's yeah. the champion. Yeah. Since Adam Cole is out and he's going to defend him until Adam gets back. So they've challenged him to a tag team title match. Well, MJF tells the ass boys then to shut up, but agrees to the match. It's, it'll be a handicap match for the tag team title at full gear. But then he also tells them, that next week he's going to take Jay White up on the offer that he made a week or two ago for an eight-man tag match versus the four of them versus MJF and three partners, and he will get his belt back, he being MJF, from Jay White if his team, he being MJF, wins that match. But then, at that point, Roddy who is apparently still at ringside with these other two five fucking minutes ago, they got knocked out of the ring. He screams, Max, pick us, you'll pick us. He wants, he being Roddy, wants MJF to pick the three of them, including the guy in the wheelchair, as his three partners, and MJF turns that down. And then Caster says, well, that means us. Because they're still in the ring. And MJF tells Caster that he never liked him, even when they were training together. And in a million years, if he was on fire and Caster and MJF was so flustered by this point, he couldn't form a cogent simile 
And he said, if I was on fire and the only thing that you, the other thing, the only thing that would take it away was you or something. You can't even say it. I don't even I know what he said. I can't even say it because yeah. it didn't make any fucking sense. My boy, what have they done to my boy? So he said, fuck you anyway to Caster. I hate you. I despise you. And then Caster says, so you're saying there's a chance. Ah. Uh. And then Bowen starts yelling at Caster, no, again, they went from melodrama, they went from a war movie to a goddamn The Keystone Cops by Max Sennett in the same segment. And then... This feels more like late period WCW than any other time in AEW history. Oh, boy, howdy. Well, now the fucking heels on the ramp are gone. The Bang Clang gang... Because they can't hang. Well, no, they're, they're not. They're not the clangers. You said the other people. Well, no, you said they would be the clangers. No, I take it yeah, back. they'll be. Yeah, well, whoever they are. So Jay, Jen, and Juice and the guns are gone by now because now Caster is interacting with MJF and says, "Well, basically, uh, it'll be okay if you just do one thing." And he holds out his fingers to scissor with MJF. And MJF milks like it's the goddamn handshake between fucking Hogan and Savage or whatever. And then he reaches over and squeezes closed Caster's fingers and walks off. And so now, again, this started out with MJF beating the second-in-command of the bangers and clangers in order to get heat with Jay White for a obviously the title match that I thought they were going to fucking have upcoming on full gear. But then it became a goddamn clusterfuck where now MJF is going to wrestle the guns at full gear for the ring of honor tag team title, but they got an eight man tag next week, but nobody knows who MJF's three partners are, but now they're reduced to doing comedy about fingering each other. And then as MJF, to try to not get any on him, walks off and leaves the acclaimed and Billy in the ring to do whatever the fuck it is that they're doing. Then they play Twinkle Toes McFinger Bangs music. And he comes out to the entranceway. And they have a face-off, they being Twinkle Toes and MJF. And now it's a chance for, and remember last week, as you will recall, MJF whispered some about 13 days, bitch, because MJF is about to break Kenny's record for longevity as AEW champion. Now they're calling it a streak. You know who, in my opinion, broke Kenny's streak of being the AEW world champion? The guy that won it from him. But now, since the WWE has made it important about how many days that a champion has been a champion, now they're stealing WWE concepts and applying them here in this multifaceted, multi-man, multi-malted milkshake of a goddamn angle that they're doing, where Tony is, I'm telling you, was it, was it a fucking a line of bees that he snorted to get here? Or what? 
So anyway, Kenny, Kenny, he gets the microphone and he looks out at the crowd and then he breathlessly gasps. And I swear to God, he breathlessly gasped this because I wrote it down word for word. Are you ready, Brian? I'm ready, this Brian. Is, this is supposedly the greatest living wrestling artist and one of their top box office attractions. You have something I want, and I have something you want. Walking out with a live mic, I lost that right the second that, uh, I lost what's not around your waist. So even though I have no right to ask, and, uh, if you're the type of scumbag that I think you are, you'll laugh in my face. Tell me to suck on some lemons. Tell me to fly a kite. Dealer's choice. Editor's note, he really says these things in real life, you can tell. I expect him to cuss somebody out by saying, Pickle, you kumquat! What the French toast? Shut the front door! He continues, But if you're their scumbag, if you're the champion I think they want you to be, heck! He said, heck! Heck! If you're the champion I think deep down inside you want to be, then hear me out. I want that belt, Max. I reserve the right to defend my streak. Defend his streak? It's going to be over in six days, you weasel. You should have thought about this before now, but it's not a streak because you got beat. Yeah, well, since when is a title ring called a streak? A streak. I reserve the right to defend my streak. So if you're better than me and you know it, then Max... Gee, golly, gosh, don't be afraid to show it, pal. He's son of a gu- I swear to God, he actually said, gee, golly, gosh, don't be afraid to show it, pal. He had a streak in his pants when they still <laughs> bit his arm. <laughs> what? You have got a fucking... In- uh- Even in 1973, much less in 2023, you have this fucking feckless, pussy-ish, breathless, bug-eyed baby face out there going, heck, and gee golly gosh, what the, tell me to suck on some lemons, tell me to go fly a kite, how about, I'm gonna break my foot off in your ass, you son of a bitch, that might be what Steve Austin would have said. I talk like a robot from the 80s. I don't know. I'll tell you why. I had a couple of motorized devices from the 80s that emitted different sounds than that. You, what is MJF thinking standing there having to stare him in the face because that's what the segment calls for? Yes. And he's just talking gibberish. He's not saying anything. Just gibberish. In a... Again, Kenny, the phone sex industry is still... It's, 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 it's honest work. It's legal. There's no reason that you have to do this wrestling thing as a cover. But anyway, so then MJF has to answer. It's like phone sex on Percodan. Phone sex on somebody else's fucking credit card. (laughs) So then MJF has to answer. And he (laughs) then, I mean, this was the, the one thing you can say about Kenny Olivier there is that this was the most inoffensive 
way to ask for a, a match that I've ever heard in my life. It was like hat in hand. I think he said I came ahead in hand. That was one of the other things he said. But it was like, please, sir, may I have some more? It was the Oliver Twist of asking for a fucking match. It He didn't insult him in any way. He was so polite. It was like, I mean, of course, that's why he doesn't draw any money, because he's a gutless fucking idiot with microscopic balls that nobody could potentially look up to as a fucking ass kicker or a fucking hero. I'm the best belt machine. Well, there you go. But now MJF has got to answer the grinning, mincing, breathless, pirouetting, and he's screaming at him. This Saturday, Collision, AEW title match. Hey, I'm going to give it to you. What? It may the best man win and they shake hands. But then MJF does, I'm better than you and you know it to Twinkle Toes. And then Twinkle Toes says, well, then, adieu, goodbye. He actually said, he, he made a blowy kiss sound. And goodnight, bang. And oh, Max. Oh, Max. Three days, bitch. You know what? I, it just hit me. I mean, you verbatim went through what Kenny said, including the big finale there. Can you hear, if you took this dialogue, wouldn't it fit in with Miss Piggy? The way yes. she would talk. Yes. <laughs> Adieu, goodbye. Mwah. Three days, bitch. Good night, bang. So we're 30 minutes into the show, and that all that we have seen is the start to finish of this epic saga where they've set up more matches than you can keep track of. It's the worst MJF segment of television, I think, in the history of ever. I mean, some of the MJF, Adam Cole, buddy comedy, slow-mo, that was preposterous, but it was over in two minutes. This was just never-ending. And... And the, uh, 2024 can't come soon enough for Maxwell Jacob Friedman's career because he needs out of here. He is being, as I said, weighed down, drugged to the depth. This is a concrete overcoat on his young career. Take a pay cut, Max, for the sake of your future if you have to to get the fuck out of there. No matter what they offer you, fucking run screaming like your head is on fire. Much like the simile that you were so frazzled by the shit going on around you that you could not form. <sighs> what do you think of the devil mask guy? You think it's Adam Cole? Do you think it's Jack Perry? Who do you think it'll be? Well, it obviously can't be MJF because of the fucking... <laughs> that would just be flattered and a plate oh, full of piss, right? If it turned out it was him just having videos of himself, that would upset yeah, people. That would be would, bad. Yeah, so it's got to be somebody else. And then the thing, it's, if it's Adam Cole, is it going to be Adam Cole for the next six to nine months till he's healthy again? And not be revealed? Is it... I mean, you said Jack Perry. What happened to that little fucking weasel? What happened to that squealing, little whining, bitching, crying, complaining, feckless, dickless fucking pussy? He got drowned in a river of tears. No, I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, we heard that he was suspended, and then we recently heard that he was either ready to come back or they were ready to let him come back. Well, there there's, could be quite a bit of difference between I'm ready to come back and we're ready to let you back. 
Well, nevertheless, I don't know who it's going to be, but it better not be MJF. We know that much. So, and again, is it going to make any sense? Or it can't be, it can't be Jay White, right? It can't be no, Jay, they White Jay White. No, ju- they jumped Jay White. Because he jumped Jay White. That's right. That means it's going to be Jay White. I tricked you. Look what I did. Yeah, like that. I see. I tricked you. I did. Me and Phoebe Figalilly, I put her in the box while you were looking at her. I picked your pocket. Well, you know, well, go ahead. I don't know. I don't know what I was going to say. Well, what I was going to say is maybe MJF just needs a good night's sleep. (laughs) Well, you know, that's something that we all contemplate from time to time is whether or not we're going to get a good night's sleep. And sometimes the the nightmares that we have trying to make sense of these programs that we watch on television preclude us from having a good night's sleep. And that's why you got to, you got to go to a little extra trouble. You got to make a little extra effort, but you got to save some money at the same time on having a good night's sleep. And actually, when I think about it now, if you visit our fine friends at Helix, it's not even a little extra trouble. It's saving money. It's not even a little extra aggravation. You're not even going to have to leave the house. All you got to do is go to their fine website, which we've told you about it before. We'll tell you about it again. Again, Helix. That's right. Again, again, helixsleep.com, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com. When you go to that website, you're going to see a plethora, a veritable wonderland. Sleep, sleep in wonderland. Of different types of mattresses, fun for the whole family. And hey, bring the pets along too. You could you could easily put Rover on one of the kids' mattresses. He'd probably appreciate it more than these no-good snot-nosed crumb snatchers. But anyway, why are you gonna buy a mattress for a kid that'll just lay there and get peanut butter and jelly all over it? But nevertheless, I digress. Is that what you, you would got- do in your bed? You would get peanut butter and jelly all over your bed? Various eating, you know, not uh, eating substances, drippage, gravy. Mama Cornette allowed you to eat in your room? Well, it, it was shoved under the door and I could do with it there what I wanted as long as the chain would reach. Under the door? But anyway, you go to the helixsleep.com website and you see all this wide ar- variety or array or a, var- a variety, variety. <laughs> Of mattresses in front of your very eyes. They got mattresses for big and tall sleepers, mattresses for people that want to heat up and cool down. I heat up, I cool down. I got the music in me. I got the mattress in me. That You're going to have the mattress under you because they offer, I'll have you know, 100-night free trials. You can sleep on one of these son-of-a-guns for over three months. Last I checked, that's 100 nights, right? And if you don't like it and you're slow to make up your mind, you can just send it back. They'll give you your money back. I think they're being suckers about the whole thing. You realize if four mattress companies had a deal like that, why you could sleep the whole year for free. Well, they're confident in the quality of their work. And I must say, we have some of their mattresses here in the house. We have two different Helix mattresses here in the house. And of course, they're wonderful all-form couch and yes, very comfortable. They had nothing to worry about. We weren't sending it back. They'd have to pry those things from your cold, dead fingers, wouldn't they? Well, I don't know about so it. Fingers would be hard fact, to grip folks, the... Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, folks, be prepared to defend these things. You're not going to want to give them up. So when the mattress police come, 
they're going to have to pry them out of your cold, dead fingers because you're going to sleep so good on these Helix mattresses that when these people come up your front yard, up your driveway, beating on your front door, screaming, send out your mattresses, you're going to say, fuck you, you'll have to pry it from my cold, dead fingers because I sleep great on whatever variety of Helix mattress that you have purchased. I mean, they've got ones even designed for specific sleep positions, like reverse cowgirl. And That's how you sleep? Well, you never say, to each their own, whatever flips your trigger or floats your flips boat. Flips your trigger? Flips your trigger, trips your trigger, whatever flips your flopper. <laughs> and if your spine... <laughs> Shut up now. Clangers and bangers. Folks, if your spine, after you do flipping and flopping, needs some extra TLC, they've even got a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. Whoa. That sounds like a marital aid that I once bought online. But it's the perfect combination of comfort and support, apparently, and potentially penetration. Folks, all you got to do is take the Helix Sleep Quiz. Just tell them what your preferences are, and they'll match you up with a model that you will love and want to be on top of. I mean a mattress, not an actual model that you'll want to be on. They might also do the escort thing in their spare time. They don't. I don't know why you're going here. Some type of fashion. They will not match you up with anything other than a fine mattress that you will be matched up with if they're going through their fine online survey to find exactly the right mattress for you and any of this other superfluous stuff maybe happening over in the perverted world of Castle Cornet, let's say well, Cornet Manor. It's my manor, it's his castle. Yeah, whatever and we need manors when we're talking about a fine mattress like Helix Sleep's amazing mattresses, and there were so many of them. Well, whatever you want to do with your super fluids with a model on any of these mattresses is completely your own business. But nevertheless, right now, we can save you money. Not on the model, but on the mattress. You can get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows right now. If you go to the aforementioned helixsleep.com slash JCE, see the slash JCE, that's the, uh, that's the important part. That's the secret knock where they know that you're with us and they'll give you the 20% off and the two free pillows. And these pillows ain't just a couple of bags of hot steel balls either. They're, they're as comfy as sleeping in a, well, in a bird's nest, like you see those little baby birds chirping away. They just, yeah, but they're all fuzzled up and curled up in, in these pillows. You can, it's like you're floating on a cloud. What those sensory deprivation pillows. You think the birds in a nest look comfortable? Uh, well, they're, they're, they're certainly there uh, anxiously awaiting their mother to feed them, but they seem to be nestled in all right. Seems like they can't wait to dive out of it as soon as they can. Well... You won't feel that way about your Helix Sleep mattress, so apparently that's a new tagline then. Helix Sleep mattress is more comfortable than sleeping in a bird's nest. See, I've just done their job for them. That's right. What's the promo code, Jim? HelixSleep.com slash JCE. Well, Jim, let's hop out of bed and get back to this exciting episode of Dynamite. Well, okay, big boy. Hi. Oh, you want me to continue? Put a ring on it. Hey, well, does that mean we can scissor? All right. So, Wardlow did a little interview package 
from some location somewhere. Was it in? Well, let me stop you right there because this is part of. I couldn't stop thinking about this. Was it Philadelphia? Because they were in Philadelphia. Did they shoot him going up the stairs like Rocky? Well, it. I didn't. I didn't back it up to say for sure, and I didn't see it again, so I don't know. But apparently, that he was just out and about in Philadelphia. But the point is, I wanted to hear. Okay, what's his story? What's he? What's he doing? You know, he knocked down Tony Schiavone the other week. He's been power bombing everybody. Why is he pissed off at the world? Well, he's pissed off at the world because he had to sit at home for four months, not from injuries, not being on vacation, but going into a dark place. Because he had to see that no good MJF become everybody's favorite, become the world heavyweight champion. Everybody loves MJF and everything. He's the most popular guy. Okay, why did why did that make Wardlow have to sit at home for four months? Again, like, like when Hobbs got pissed off at Jericho when he was seven. They've been in the same company for four years, but he took four years to punch him in the face or whatever. Well, now... It's almost like they're pretending everything that happened after the pay-per-view where Wardlow beat MJF didn't happen. Yeah, the last time that he was over, about a year and a half ago, when he beat MJF and then MJF went on to be the world champion and they couldn't come up with anything for Wardlow besides powerbombing people, you know, every six months or so. But why did he have to sit a- <laughs> going into a dark place? I was so... You don't want to hear that from some badass fucking heel wrestler, I guess, now he's a heel. You don't want to hear, well, they just wouldn't let me come to work because Tony didn't have any ideas for me, so I just sit and watch this other guy get more popular than me. No, I can understand. I, if they'd have done this a year and a half ago, if when MJF was gone, Wardlow was still there, and then MJF comes back, and then Wardlow says, wait a minute, I beat this guy, and now he's back and he's the world champion? I ought to get a shot. His time, his statue, as they say, of limitations for something like, hadn't it run out by now? He's been back, and he's been gone again, and back again and gone again. Why now? Why now is why I'm asking as my gardener pulls up to my property. Oh, good God. No, and starts there working. Are no, there but, are no people there. Stay away from there the mushrooms. Are, there are a crew. You're hearing <laughs> all of this. This has nothing there, to do with the mushrooms. Your gardeners are bringing you mushrooms. That's why you hear all these fucking noises. They're good people. Listen, they're good people. They just make a lot of noise. But back to they're what we're talking mushroom about. dealers. No one said that. Again, no evidence or proof of this. Just a... Uh, gardener. Okay, now I know what gardener has meant all along. On a side note, I used to buy weed years and years and years and years ago on Long Island. Long before the statute of limitations. From a grocer who would get his <laughs> fresh groceries, like in the Bronx. Called it Produce? Produce. <laughs> but with the produce, he got just the finest, freshest. It was great stuff. But it was a pain well, in the you ass. Know, it, it's the mom that. and pop shops that have been the backbone of the United States economy for I don't know how long now. That's right. You used to be able to go to any bodega in Brooklyn. And if it had a yellow on it, you can go in there and get whatever you wanted. But whatever. Back to this. What we're talking about is Wardlow. And he had a 
very visible, almost fluorescent cross around his neck. So, or on his shirt, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it was a weird dichotomy between the religious connotation and whatever he was saying about wanting to kill MJF. No Arn Anderson, obviously. So they've gotten Wardlow away from Arn. We've seen him bomb. I, for, I forgot he was with Arn. Exactly. That's the problem. Oh. The way they followed everything they did to follow up Wardlow beating MJF completely blew it. So I agree with going to the, uh, once again, the Bobby Ewing technique. None of that happened. <laughs> we'll just start again. Can you get anything out of Wardlow? At this point, I don't know. When I hear these interview pieces, it, I don't know whether they're giving him this because he can't talk on his own or whether this is something that he's written. And But he's. it sounds like something that he or somebody wrote and he's reciting it. It's very flowery verbiage. Most people don't talk like that, especially some big badass. But uh, again, it's it never followed up on. Remember, he was, you know, he was suing the. They're getting sued by the fucking security company for beating them up, and it, he's had all these different weird things go on. But whenever you give him the opportunity to speak in the ring as rarely as that has come or to speak on one of these packages. Nothing is jumping out about his verbiage or his delivery or his voice or his. Remember I said, and somebody on Twitter said, and now I can't unsee it. He looks and sounds about as boring as Ethan page, just bigger on the sauce. He just kind of sounds like a boring guy that uses a lot of, Boring words. But when he didn't open his mouth, he looked like the biggest badass of all time. Yeah, so maybe if they'd have had a real manager, Pinocchio, to swerve his mind around to the evil side and take over after he'd beat MJF and do his talking for him and then figure out a way to get him involved in the mix, maybe that would have worked. I, I don't yeah. think this guy can talk for himself because he... He doesn't sound like he means it, and he's already... Remember, we say he's, what, 30-something years old? See, I don't know. Your cross-promotional stables coming together, Wardlow, Nakamura, and you. Oh, good. They Lord. all need talkers. Or a talker. Hey, well, let me just work on breeding some more talkers. I'll work on the breeding. Speaking of breeding, the fruit of Taz's loins was next. Hook who is now apparently a regular tag team with Rob Van Dam because they've done it twice. For Tony, that's regular. And they were against the dork order. Long John Silver and Reynolds Rap, his partner. Just had this popped up out of the blue. I Did you watch it? I'm not going to watch the dork order. Why? No, I mean, the only thing I noticed is Rob Van Dam has dyed his hair jet black, it looked like. And, you know, it's always sad when you see something. Not, you know, not sad, but I mean, everyone knows his hair isn't black. It's like Vince dyeing his hair black. So it stands out. And you, can hear, least Rob, and you, can, hear, Van... you can hear them in the background now, and you can't say you don't. Well, who? Rob Van Dam and Hook in the background? No, the uh, gardeners with the mushrooms. Oh, we're back to them again. Uh, at least Rob Van Dam isn't tying people to the railroad tracks these days, even if he dyes his hair like Vince. But uh, they did another Tony Storm picture in picture picture. And I'm thinking Tony Storm is a talent 
that could get over on a sketch show. Like a, a In Living Color, Saturday Night Live, Chappelle <laughs> Show. In Living Color went off the air in like 94. Well, God, she's spoofing a silent movie, for fuck's sake. So pardon me for being more contemporary with my references. I'm saying a sketch program of those various genres, right? But not... Your show of got, shows, Texaco Star Theater. Texaco Star Theater. Hey, her and Milton. <laughs> Uncle Milty in a dress. I'm telling you, Sid Caesar and her, Imogene Coco would have been run off the stage. But they're doing this already. The regular program is a parody of a wrestling show. So they're doing parodies of a parody in picture in picture. If, if the, uh, again, if this was the only wacky thing, it would get over like crazy and she's good, but it's just more silliness on a silly fucking show. Silly, silly, silly. You know what could make it work? And I apologies for the noise behind me. Oh, God You know damn what it. can make it work? Don't take the Lord's name in vain over this. What if you get some older woman who could still wrestle, but isn't like well-known enough like a Trish Stratus where she can't take on a new gimmick? And you get her to play Tony Storm's mom, and she sues AEW for the fact that they're taking advantage of her clearly sick daughter who's having a mental breakdown and they're using it for their gain by putting it on their show and playing along with it. And Stella Mae French is the mother. Stella Mae French. Can you imagine? I told you she worked at the dry cleaners I went to in Dallas. Yeah, you told me she like, introduced herself to you as... Yes. Stella Mae French. Stella Mae French. Um, but no, yeah, I, again, that, at least that would be something... I don't. Yeah, just, she's so mentally deranged. Why are they putting this on their show? Aren't they aiding yes. and abetting her illness? Well, besides that, at least put it on the fucking show so we don't have to watch the dork order. It's in picture in picture. And Luther is now her Eric von Stroheim. Yeah, because he needed some kind of justification for still being there. Yeah, we're paying him. Well, fuck, stick him in a butler outfit and put him in a corner. And it appears they are rounding up the leaves. This may, <laughs> in fact, right. be the spring cleaning. And now cleaning. they're rounding the far turn. There's banana moving up out of the bunch, cigarette pulling up out of the pack, and here comes Beetle Bomb. They are gathering the leaves. I believe this is indeed the spring cleaning the that I thought it was. Up the leaves. Pretty soon they'll be starting the funeral pyre, and then the chanting will begin. Starcade 23, the gathering of the leaves. It's a very solemn occasion up there in New England when the gathering of the leaves takes place. Should we move on, or do you need to genuflect out your window at the uh, the passage of the, the caisson with the memorial leaves? I'm leaving the mic open. I want evidence. I want evidence. I want everyone to hear what's happening <laughs> so that it can't be denied. It cannot be denied. This is a lesson to the world. About what happens when you have gardeners come in on podcasting day. So then we got to Tony Schiavone with Sting and Darby Allen, which sounds like kind of like an old folk song with Sting and Darby Allen. And of course, Sting thanked Philadelphia because he didn't thank him last week because he wasn't in Philadelphia. And he thanked Darby Allen, called him the best tag team partner I ever had. And now, is there heat with fucking Luger? Because then later on, Sting said, I know I got a lot of ooze when I said that. 
you thought I was going to say somebody else. Well, it, what was it? it? When he talked about, um, or later on when he accosted Edge, you know, he said, I, I drank the Kool-Aid once. Is there heat with him and Luger? I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. I mean, they were saying all sorts of stuff. Shivani also said that Sting was the wrestler that put TBS wrestling on the map. <laughs> they said that multiple times. And then they introduced Ric Flair. But multiple times yeah, they said yeah. then, that Sting was, was the wrestler. But he was this other guy. And then, all, and by the way, goddamn Dusty would like to have a word 10 years previously, but Listen, nevertheless. We're talking TBS wrestling too. <laughs> would like a word. Yeah, Bobby exactly. Rich. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Tony Atlas would like a foot or a word. <laughs> but anyway, so Sting and Sting also thanks Tony Khan. And then Tony Schiavone takes the microphone and says, well, Tony Khan should thank you. And he is. So he and Tony Schiavone went off on this wordy. I don't know if he got lost coming around the far turn, but he had to, you know, come back around to it. and finally introduced a present for Sting and they play Flair's music and out comes Ric Flair. And I got the, the people were surprised because he was obviously unadvertised. It wasn't a, oh my God, it's the rock or, oh my God, it's John Cena unadvertised. Like we've gotten over the last, you know, couple of months it was well yeah he's here wow but it wasn't like holy shit how did they pull this off he was a gift why is he a gift <laughs> tony <laughs> khan has a special gift for sting the gift is that rick flair was allowed in the building well no because tony khan just watched the toy and now he understands how to deal with with things like that but but anyway does that make tony shivani the uh, ned Beatty character in that film Yes, yes, it does. But Flair gets in the ring and the fans start chanting. Then finally, holy shit, holy shit. But Shivani says, the announcer of the program, says, damn right, you can say it. So he's encouraging the fans to say holy shit on television. When they've been trying to bleep the fucks and the, the fucks and the sucks and the ducks and all the other things. Anyway. Flair put Sting over big time. You know, the greatest he's ever been in a ring with, etc. But then, was this an ad lib where he said, I hey, what's that, March? You're going to retire? I want to ride the, the wagon all the way with you. I'll be here right with you till March. What Did he just book himself on live television where Tony's in the back at the monitor going, my God, he's 100 grand a night. Although it is funny, the idea of Ric Flair managing Sting and Darby Allen yeah. <laughs> in Route to Revolution. Well, so whether or not that was a, a, a little seed that needed to be planted or whether it was Rick booking himself for another six months, then he and Sting wooed at each other and Rick gave him a playful chop. And then here came the Christian Cage music interrupting. And thank God, because we needed... A little pick-me-up at this point. And here comes Christian with Dino and his new son, Nick Plain. Good old Nick Plain. What the fuck? Just a droop-faced fucking expression. 
And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, my God, we, we, we have pretty much, we've eliminated the generation in between that, that should be on top here. And what we've, we've got one guy in his seventies, one guy in his sixties and Christians in his fifties, still trying to keep the whole thing together. And then the, the other bunch is not even ready for fucking prime time. It, Darby standing next to Sting and Flair looks like goddamn contest winner staggered in. And at least Dino looks like something till you see him wrestle. And Christian looks like a star. And there's Nick looking like they're doing a goddamn make-a-wish fucking appearance with him. It... it is he, there wor- he, works in the, the he works in that role. He works in that role, I think, for the way they're using him right now. In what role? The here, it, it, would, if this was a movie, would he be credited as slack jawed dullard? He is a eighteen year old who just turned heel, and he's going along with this other heel, and he's skinny and he's inexperienced, and they're taking advantage of him. And he works in that role. If he showed up and he was two twenty and jacked. It wouldn't work as an eighteen year old as well. Come back to me when you're 25, kid. Anyway, so Christian ripped Flair. <laughs> Tony Khan, he said Tony Khan gave Sting a suit, gold chains, and a black liver. And he promoted Sting and Darby. And of course, Christian wants a six man tag with him and Dino and Nick against Sting and Darby and a partner. And it and he and of course they said, well, Flair's standing right there. If you want him, get we'll take anybody. And he didn't lock him into it, but he teased it enough to where hopefully that's what people they hopefully they think that's what people will think. Uh if for a six man, if you want to get a partner at full gear. And Sting then sneezed because he's allergic to jackasses. That was kind of lame. Well, it it. Riggy Morton was funnier when he did it 30 years ago. And he accepted, they'll find a partner, and we'll see ya. And that was pretty much that. And of course, as we're going to find out later, the partner's going to be Edge, who will not fight his friend Christian for two more weeks or three more weeks, maybe. Uh, but will Flair be in the corner now that he's booked himself? I think, again, going with the idea, too, that Tony Khan is trying to build up these numbers going into the end of the year. Maybe Flair will be around. We'll see what kind of reaction this gets from the AEW fans. Now, we did hear or did see a lot of chatter online from people. Here's Tony Khan, who's been ripping Vince McMahon for, and rightly so, in a sense, for his misdeeds, his crimes, whatever they are. Shooting his shots. His payoffs to women, whatever's going on. Okay, and then you turn around, you hire Ric Flair two weeks later? That's what people are jumping on. There's a double standard there. Well, no, he didn't hire him. He just rented him. He's an independent contractor. Tony is not responsible for the outside-the-ring activities of Ric Flair from 30 years ago just because he chooses to bring him out and give him as a present to another one of his action figures. It was 20 years ago. And it would also... Remember... Wasn't it Flair that went into business for himself on TNA television and changed his mind on voting for one of the gut check guys? I don't know. Is that true? I don't know. Yes. It was. <laughs> now that I'm saying it out loud, yes, it was. 
That's why I'm saying Flair will fucking just blurt things out. I think he said, yeah, I'll be with you the whole way till March. So Tony would book him on every pay-per-view at every show now because Flair was the deciding vote on one of the gut check guys. And it was a work, obviously. And they told him to vote no. And the guy fucking fired up and did something. And Flair said, fuck it, I'll vote for you. And they had to give him a contract. So who knows? Did you ever think working with Ric Flair, and of course you were very close to Ric Flair, you were put on the booking committee by Ric Flair. Did you ever think that when he was in his mid to late 70s, this would be his fashion sense? No, I didn't. No, I didn't get this. Uh, I assumed he was going to be a Michaels of Kansas City customer until until his final days. I didn't know that he'd go to Snoop Dogs of Brooklyn instead or whatever. He's- Is Michaels of Kansas City on acid? I don't, well, I'll tell you, it, my Aunt Lola had a couch cover in the 60s that looked like his suit he was wearing this particular evening. But anyway, so now they've set up a six-man tag for full gear uh, between the Christian contingent, and not in a religious way, but it is professional name, and Sting and Darby and, and well, we'll find that out in a second. Um, did you watch any of the Jericho sit down with Rene Moxley good about being roughed up and manhandled by uh, our friend Willie Hobbs? Yeah, I watched it to see what he was going to say. Well, what did he say? Because I didn't. He uh, has never been treated like this. Renee's really getting into her, uh, her acting on the show. If you watched her in the earlier segment, her body was turned towards the camera while she was holding the mic for no good reason other than she wanted to be seen on camera. <laughs> but... Jericho ended this by saying that he has friends too, and he's going to bring in someone bigger than Powerhouse Hobbs to help him. So that's what big shows do in these days. Jericho, see? Nothing against the big show, who they should have used in some fashion in the last three years or however long he's already been there. No, he just did a local news program on WDRB here because uh, he used to live in town. They know him about uh, the two-for-one tickets they're trying to sell for the Yum Center Dynamite next week. Well, we'll see. It that, that still doesn't have 3,000 tickets sold, to my understanding. We'll see what happens there, but in terms of how to use them, are these the guys you'd put them in there with? Powerhouse Hobbs and Takeshita? No, I was making a fucking joke. I know. I'm asking you if you're going to use the big show right now at his no, age. No, not and right. I would not. I would not have Powerhouse Hobbs be in there being dwarfed by a guy that who's either had his last match or going to have his last one or two in the near future. But uh, again, you know who is Jericho's bigger friend going to be? You don't want to find people bigger than Powerhouse Hobbs. That makes him look smaller. Takeshita's thing is not his size, but, you know, but rather his athleticism and evil intent. Should it be a swerve? Should he bring in the smallest wrestler he knows? And then and then beat Powerhouse Hot Leggies Bobby Heenan and Dick the Bruiser brought in Little Bruiser. Chris that, Jericho that, and Riho versus Powerhouse Hobbs and Takeshita. What about Chris Jericho and Little Jericho? If they could find a midget that looked just like Chris Jericho. There could be the walls of Jericho. There could be the curb of Jericho. (laughs) I'll I'll end on that one. So the next match, 
Was Matt and Jeff Hardy teaming up on free television in a fucking cold six-man tag with their partner, Isaiah Cassidy, because Isaiah Cassidy had a tag team partner named Mark Quinn until apparently Mark Quinn is hurt so bad we're never going to see him again. I don't know what the fuck, where he's at. And they had a babyface match against the Buckaroos and Hangnail Page so they could play with their six-man tag team belts they made up for themselves. And uh, one of the iconic named tag teams in modern wrestling history, and they're reduced to having cold matches with other babyfaces you know, for a meaningless uh, championship, and doing the same shit that the buckaroos and hangnail always fucking do. But now it's iconic names that potentially could have drawn some money upon their reunion had it been handled right that are now just drifting down the river of mediocrity and despair. An irrelevancy. Did you hear the crowd reaction? Speaking of irrelevancy, did you hear the crowd reactions? The, specifically the Bucks and Page, but... Even the Hardys. Bleh. Yeah. Well, why, you know, even if they don't really like the Bucks and Page, they probably don't want to boo them because they're technically supposed to be heroes around there. But at the same time, even though they probably used to like the Hardys, what is there to like right now with this presentation especially? So they don't, they don't really want to boo anybody or cheer anybody. They just want it to be over with which I skipped ahead until it was over with. Did I miss anything? No, it wasn't uh, that good. It was a typical, typical of the Bucks trying to do their things and Matt Hardy going slower than everyone else in there. And when Jeff Hardy does everything, he has the innate ability to make you think either he's fucked up. <laughs> Not that he's fucked up, but that he fucked up a move. Injured. Or just something's Injured wrong. Injured or in pain or in, you know, in agony. You can never tell what's intentional, what isn't with him. But uh, no, beyond that, the, to me, the story was the crowd. The Bucks, like we've been saying, they don't get anywhere near the reactions from anyone that they used to. The bloom is off the rose. Well, the, the bloom certainly fucking drooped at the end of this thing because you could hear the silence when people were watching because they leave the buckaroos that hang nail in the ring and then suddenly up on the big screen pops up Swerve Strickland. And Prince Nana is with him. And they are at hang of uh, what we are led to believe and told is Paige's front door of his house. And they somehow get in or break in. I don't know. Did Prince Nana do the credit card thing? We've seen it on cop shows. Apparently, Paige is a big time professional sports star, but he can't hire a locksmith and he's just got little fucking shitty locks. But they break into Hangnail Page's house, and they are doing a live remote. Again, the, yes, you can now stream video from your phone, right? You can live stream what you're doing on Facebook or on the internet or whatever. But they still haven't worked out how you can break in at random on a goddamn national television program from your phone. Have they? Well, you could stream it to the truck, and then the truck puts it on the big screen. And then they cooperate. That's right. And show members of their roster committing 
felonious burglary and breaking and entering on live television. Well, to be fair, if they got this feed, if they got the stream from Swerve or Nana, why would they expect that Swerve would ever do anything where he would go to someone's house and do anything illegal? Well, that's true, because there's not like there's a precedent. But as soon as Hangnail Page is the cowboy from rural Virginia, right? I don't know so what part of Virginia he's from, but he's from Virginia, I've heard. Well, but they're in Philadelphia here. Now, a lot of the guys live in Florida, and Page is announced from Virginia, but nobody's ever said he lives in Philadelphia. But when he's standing in the ring and sees on the screen these two guys breaking in his house, he jumps out of the ring and runs to the back. Where does he live? In the fucking parking lot? Is his house next door to the... How's he going to get there? He must be running to the train station. What do you think? I forgot about those high-speed rails they got up there these days. How far is rural Virginia from Philadelphia? 30, 40 years. <laughs> that's, um, not, that's not what I meant. I meant oh, in terms of... If you were going to drive. Mileage wave. you were going to drive, he could be there in six, seven hours. So at what uh, point does Swerve get arrested on the show? In, well, char like, in character, and again, it's hit and miss the stuff with Swerve. The promos are typically all right, although he tries to be a cool heel, it seems like. The matches are good. The fans are into him. Again, a cool heel, it seems like. But then there's these like, I'm going to just go assault someone or go to their house and film it, and nothing will happen. He gets arrested on AEW television the week after Tony Khan watches the episode of Memphis TV where Billy Joe Travis actually got arrested for non-payment of child support. But they talked the cops into waiting until after he went out and did his segment, and then they showed it on the air. Anyway, Nana was there, and he was jumping around in the kitchen eating berries, but Swerve was being serious. And he was like, yeah, Paige owes him. He cost him an opportunity, and... He wants Paige to pay him what he owes him. And then suddenly, Swerve hears something. And they're walking down the hall. And now, I don't know. I think maybe Nana had the phone at first, but then Swerve got the phone, and you see the video shaking, and you hear the clump-clump as they're walking down the hallway. And then they walk into the kids' nursery. And now Nana is, like, getting the limber tail he's getting squeamish he's like oh man i don't like this idea man and swerve sets the camera phone down so he's i swear to god the shot is him kneeling over the crib but you can't see the inside the crib the baby that he heard and went down the hall and found the fucking crib is allegedly in the crib, but you never see the baby. You also never hear the baby. The ba and he cuts a promo over the baby. Should you pay your daddy's debt? Maybe one day, but not today. And after he cuts this long, threatening promo, he throws the kid a swerve t-shirt, and he throws it into the crib where it would have landed on the baby's fucking head. You've had children. I have not. You know more than I do. How big are these fucking cribs? About three by three? They're pretty small. You definitely don't want to throw anything over the baby's face. 
Could he have missed the baby if the baby was indeed in the crib with the t-shirt? Well, depending on the age of the baby, you wouldn't want to leave anything like that in the crib, even if it misses the baby, because they roll around, they move around, they could pull something over their face. Oh, there you go. Then he threw in a couple of plastic bags from Walmart into the crib. No, he throws the shirt into the crib. The baby never makes a sound. And again, we are alleged, uh, asked to believe that allegedly these two club-footed amateur cat burglars broke into this guy's house, were eating berries in the kitchen, sitting on the furniture, talking, and then walked down the hall, opening doors, cutting promo on the baby, bringing in merchandise for the baby. Who else is in the fucking house? And then someone comes in the front door, right? No, they don't. Don't they hear? Isn't that why they leave? They hear someone else come in? I don't, I didn't, I was still shaking my head. I don't know. Well, if that's the case, then Hangnail's wife only went down the hill to the fucking convenience store and left the baby alone in the middle of the night for these two fucking surreptitious burglars to come in. What? Here's a bigger question for you. The pay-per-view. He beat Hangman Page, right? In Seattle? Yes. What's he mad at Hangman Page about? Because Page cost him an opportunity at something. I think they're using title opportunity like title shot again. Maybe was it the multi-man thing? Was it the opportunity? Was it the match that he lost to Danielson? Did he lose an opportunity there for you the go. TNT yeah, title? Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> the point is the baby's invisible. And the baby's a mute, and the the mother is obviously unfit and should be reported to Child Protective Services, and these two guys committed breaking and entering and heinous threatening of an infant on live national cable television. And they went straight to the break so the announcers wouldn't have to react to it, because how could they? Exactly. No chance for anyone to say anything about that. If it's an infant, too... Or even just a small child, you may have a baby monitor in there so that if they're not sleeping in your room, you can hear what's going on if they're struggling to breathe or if they're coughing or crying, whatever it may be. Or, well, if they're struggling to breathe, coughing and crying, just go in the room and turn AEW television off. Or don't throw your shirt on top of their face. <laughs> or mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be hangnail. I hate your dad. Here's some merch. Yeah, <laughs> and and no. By the way, before anybody says, I'm not saying they should have had a baby. I'm not saying they should have had the baby, the little baby. I'm saying, what the fuck is this at all? Why would you do any of this? See, that's the thing. How does this get greenlit? Who pitches this? Like, okay, the next move in the Swerve Saga, he's gonna break into Hangman Page's house during Dynamite. And cut a promo on his baby. Cut a promo on his baby with Prince Nana as the watchout. But they can't even add in the background or goo goo gaga. I'm sure a lot of people are saying goo goo gaga when they're watching this show. We can't pipe that in. Like I said earlier, AEW is getting worse and worse. These segments, in terms of now, we have just crimes being sent in and played over the show. We have the lights going on and off, what was it, seven times on Collision <laughs> last week? Uh, seriously, wasn't it like seven times? Yes, yes. The lights went on and off? Well, and now, is it? do you take on and off as separate or on and off, that's one. Then it was, it was four or eight, one or the other. The show's getting worse and worse. These segment, every segment, whether it's a comedy segment with Adam Cole, 
or a serious segment, like the attempted wasn't a kidnapping. I don't know what, just the promo on the baby in the, the house. The, the attempted forced merchandising yeah. of the of the baby. He was he was given merchandise that he would not want forcefully. Who breaks into a house and leaves something? I groaned as soon as they showed him walking into the door of that house, him and Nana. I'm like, oh no, they're not doing this. Because even though people talk about it today, like I didn't like the Steve Austin, Brian Pillman thing at the house. No. Let alone the gun. I just didn't like the whole idea of it. And I didn't like this one here. Well, and some people will go back, well, well, that Dusty did it and the horseman did it. And yes, they did videotape themselves uh, doing a felonious assault. But the way that it was explained in context was that they had hired a cameraman to shut up and shoot the message that they were going to send to all of Dusty Rhodes' friends. And they caught Dusty in the parking lot, and they broke his leg. And they knew that Dusty Rhodes was a man that wasn't going to call the police, that he was going to try to handle things on his own, and that was just fine with them if they if he wanted to come back. It was all tied together, and you could go with it. It wasn't... And they gave the film, or the tape to Jim Crockett Promotions, and it was aired with a caution that this was not something that, obviously, that we are condoning. This is what happened to Dusty Rhodes. And so now they're taking that, and they're, we'll, we'll just put live felonies on the screen for everybody, as they happen, for our heel wrestlers, because they asked us to. And it, <clears throat> Baby sound effect, also. Baby sound effect. Anyway. Terrible. Renee Moxley Good was with Edge, and he had just explained that he still was not going to fight his friend Christian, and Darby came in and said, don't be stupid. You know that, don't be stupid. Right, that's, that's some evergreen advice around there. And then Sting comes in and says, I can't even believe we're having this conversation. And that's where he said, I had blinders on with Luger. And I'm like, is there heat? Or are they referring to an angle that they did 25 years ago that nobody would really remember right now? I don't know what the fuck. But Sting, start, he did everything but slap Edge in the face. He's shaking him and patting him on his shoulders. Open your eyes. And then he says, we go way back. Don't mess it all up now. Get with it. I'm like, you go way back where? Where have you ever interacted with these with this person? Sting has never been in the WWE until Christian left, right? Right, and when uh, well, not Christian, you're talking about Edge, Adam Copeland, or I'm sorry, Edge rather. It, Sting was never in the WWE until Edge left, and then Sting was there briefly while Edge was gone. That Edge came back after Sting had left. Sting has spent time with Christian in TNA. Is he confused as to which part of the team that he goes way back with? Because he has much more history with Christian than he does with Edge. What the fuck are they talking about here? Where would Sting and Edge have ever interacted before in public to go way back or anything that we've ever heard of in private that has ever even been intimated? As to where they go way back. No, when Edge came in, one of the things he said was, you know, he's never been in the ring with so many different people. He named Sting. Yes. I've never been in the ring with Sting before. 
But apparently they go way back. They go way back. But now he's going to mess it all up if Edge doesn't get with it. So apparently Edge is going to be the third partner. And they're right. What the fuck's Edge's problem? Again, I'm here to help my <laughs> former friend who's a complete dick. Yes. He's setting babies on fire in the streets and stealing old women's S&H green stamps. So naturally, I will not fight him. I'll just wait until he, the other criminals he's with stab him in the back and then I'll help him because then he'll be sorry he committed all these crimes. This is the logic? Help me. Well, seemingly it is uh, the logic. I can't really explain it. Obviously, we think we know where they're going. It seems pretty apparent. This may be one of those times where the right thing is to do what's obvious and not fuck this up any further. And we'll see where they go. Edge and and Darby and Sting versus Christian and Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus. Boy, that'll be interesting. And, uh... We'll see if Ric Flair is involved, but if Ric Flair is going to be involved or not, it may be the kind of thing you want to make a wager on. Well, you know, that's the thing, Brian, because the last time Las Vegas was buzzing with the uh, the wagering on Flair's last match, what, what time are they going to call time of death? When is the heart attack going to happen? When is... They, they are, is Rick going to be dead in the ring for five to ten minutes before they stop the match? All kinds of wagering could have gone on. They certainly could have. It certainly, it uh, certainly it, could it, have. They, there's certainties to this equation. <laughs> but folks, I'll tell you what, if you've been waiting for the NBA to come back, the National Basketball Alliance... Well, they're back. Association. And and they're associated with DraftKings Sportsbook. So if you want to bet on National Basketball Alliance games, all you got to do is go and associate with DraftKings Sportsbooks. I'll have you know that right now, DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the National Basketball Alliance, is celebrating... An unbeatable no, offer. It's the association. They're the partners with the NBA, the National Basketball Association. There is no alliance. Oh, are the, are they in competition? Are they like outlaws competing with the National Basketball Alliance? There's two leagues in competition for supremacy? Well, no, there's one NBA uh, that is a registered Well, trademark. that's right. The only NBA that you're wanting to talk about is the one that's partners with DraftKings Sportsbook, the National Basketball Alliance. And right now... New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets. All you got to do is bet $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. Well, it matters to you. You might be pissed if you lose. As a matter of fact, if you lose, it might ruin your day. But they don't care because they're still going to give you the $200 in bonus bets. And you're going to start the season off the right way. And with DraftKings parlays, everybody's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. Brian, are you are you a basketball connoisseur like you know the baseball? Not like I know the baseball, but I've always loved the Knicks, just like my dad did. And they've been uh, bad for a number of years, but it seems to be uh, a situation getting better. But ownership sucks. But there's always something to look forward to. I don't think we needed to. all that detail. But nevertheless, you know, like DraftKings says, basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. When you can 
call them up and all you got to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the code JCE and they'll let you right into the thing. And then you can bet on whether Metalark Lemon is going to score a three-pointer in the finals of game nine of the NBA series. Well, no. Or you could, you could bet whether Curly Neal is going to travel or whether he's going to be able to successfully execute that dribble all the way not, down the court and between Gee Sosby's legs. I don't know if any of these classic Globetrotters are still alive, so I don't think you could bet on any of these things that you're putting out there, but there are real basketball players playing in the real NBA, the National Basketball Association, uh-huh. and you can keep up with what they're doing, and if you know your stuff, make a few bucks while doing indeed that. Well, if you want to bet on the outlaws, that's up to you, but right now, folks, Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code JCE, and that's how you're going to get the $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code JCE. Download the app, and the crown is yours. So you're going to get crowned as soon as you deal with the people at DraftKings Sportsbook. Well, not in the uh, classic um, slugged sense, but you will get crowned well, with... What, what, wait a minute, what kind of classic slug sense are you talking about? You're going to be crowned a king. King me. That's when you get crowned. They're going to put a big checker on top of your head, make you twice as tall as you are now. The crown will be yours. Move over, Lawler. That's right. Jerry the King Lawler, now the, the, you're going to be the king of your own gambling domain. With DraftKings Sportsbook, these people, they, they, if these people, they've got all the experience. They started the gambling in the Old West, you know, in Boot Hill. What? It, they come from Boot Hill Casino. That's where they started gambling, and that's why they had the graveyard out back, because if you didn't pay up when you lost, boom, you're in Boot Hill. Well, no, I don't know if any of this is uh, has anything to do with DraftKings, this story. Well, this... it certainly does. It's in the front here. I'll get to it here shortly when I start reading all this fucking effluvia. But anyway, folks, if you don't want to end up in Boot Hill, then you better download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the code JCE because they'll give you $200 in bonus bets. But if you don't, then you may end up pushing up daisies there, Padna. Out there in nope. Boot Hill. That's not the way it works. Tumbleweeds blowing across your corpse. Again, this is not the way it works, but if you love your sports... Well, if, if you run into a guy with two six-guns that's faster than your draw, Pilgrim, then I'll tell you what's going to happen with the aces and eights down there in the Old West. All right, this is the not-okay not corral right now, but let's get back to DraftKings. Of course, none of this will be taking place, but if you know your stuff, you got a chance to win some stuff. What's yeah. the promo code one more time, Jim? One, and- one more time. Down, 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 King, the draft board. <laughs> no. Something like that. Download. <laughs> oh, I've strained myself. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the code JCE. Get the extra 200 bucks when you bet just $5. The crown is yours. And if you've got a gambling problem or a problem reading all this copy, Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, parenthetically, 467-369. In Connecticut, 
Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. I thought that was the the uh, code word for Russia. No, that was CC. What was it? Nevertheless, please play responsibly. CCCP. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. See, you'll end up there one day. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana. Period. That sounds like anecdotally. There's part of a sentence there. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. 168 hours? Look that up and see if that's even days. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball. Terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Words, phrases, and numbers. The end. The end with DraftKings. No, it's only the beginning of DraftKings. It's the end of the copy. Well, I don't know how much money I would make if you had asked me right now if that was... How much more, I guess, of dynamite was left? How much more of dynamite was left? Well, not much, but just enough. And by the way, we go way back, so don't mess this all up now. So then Ruby Soso wrestled Hikaru Shida. Your thoughts? It was, I watch it in the background on mute. I had other things going on. I'm glad I saw what I saw. I wish I would have seen the rest. It was incredibly sloppy for something that's on a main level show. And as people that cry that the AEW women's division don't get a fair shot, every shot they get on this show, they don't look good. Statlander looks all right. Willow Nightingale's all right. Jamie Hayter, when she was able to wrestle, was good. Walk. But man, this division is just not good. This match was really not good. Well, now you're making me sorry I didn't watch it. No, you got, if you have it on the DVR, go back and watch. It was just sloppy. And on top of that, a dead crowd. Whatever energy the crowd had left, Ric Flair took. <laughs> because the Bucks match had no crowd heat. He probably invited half of them back to the bar. Yeah, so this was uh, really not good. All righty, then Renee Moxley Good was with MJF in the trainer's room, and he's getting his arm worked on, but she's got to interrupt him, so the trainer just walks off like, okay, this is obviously more important. And before he can talk, Samoa Joe comes in and tells MJF, hey, you know, basically he's got all these people after him. I'll watch your back. And MJF, well, that sounds good, and they shake. MJF just like that accepts that, and then says, Joe says, on one condition, give me my rematch for the AEW title. So now we're being led down the path. Is MJF going to make a deal with Joe to watch his back because of all these other goofy people that want to be his friends? Then, then Joe will want to fight him afterwards and blah, blah, blah. And then finally, we came to the main event. I like that, by the way. I, I like That was the one thing I did like. I like using Samoa Joe kind of like that. He still wants his title shot. Remember. MJF beat him, and they showed each other respect at the end of that. Yeah, I like the idea of Joe and MJF having another match because that was the best one that, you know, either one's had in a while. And, but again, MJF is involved in everything, but there's so many 
subpar players and goofy holes in logic and, and comedy sprinkled into this thing that I'm afraid the whole thing is dragging everybody down. That's just me. What about you? Again, I like the MJF Samoa Joe thing, but MJF's now involved. We, I mean, we said it last time, and then it ended up happening more on this show. He's involved in multiple different things with multiple different people. Wardlow, Omega, Adam Cole slash Roddy Strong, Samoa Joe, Bullet Club Gold. I mean, he's the world champion. Everyone David should be. David and Bennett are in there. Yeah, I mean, he's the world champion. Everyone should be going after him, but. Yeah, but most of these people aren't main event people. They don't have a lot of main event people. That's the other problem. Ooh. Well, speaking of the main event, let's get to it. Because I've got very little to say. Danielson and Claudio faced Pockets and Okada. They bring Okada to the United States. He's supposed to be a big goddamn deal in New Japan Pro Wrestling. They want, apparently, the United States audience to like him and to think he's as big a deal as the New Japan audience does. So they bring him over here and they put him on TV and they partner him up with the mascot. How are anybody in the United States that are, that are not familiar with Okada or that he's a big star there supposed to take him seriously if this is how he's portrayed to the people that don't know who the fuck he is? And that's that. That's my comment on this fucking match. Because I wasn't going to watch anything involving pockets because my time is valuable and if they don't take it seriously i'm not going to either and then you said well what did they do for the finish because people have been telling me what about that fucking finish and so i go back and zip through the whole show on dbr again to look at the finish and they can't manage their time <laughs> and my dbr froze the match was still going on i don't know what the finish was so can you tell me what they did for the finish? The finish was Claudio got the win, but Orange Cassidy punched Danielson in the jaw, and then Danielson went down selling his jaw, and everyone was concerned, Moxley and the doctor. And then... Wait a minute, so wait a minute. So Brian Danielson... Many people say the best in-ring wrestler in the world, one of their main event guys, got knocked out to the point where the doctor had to be called into the ring by one punch by this fucking emaciated Valvoline mechanic. Well, not knocked out, just knocked down and obviously teasing some jaw damage. At that point, the other party came in, the uh, best friends and Statlander and Hulk. Oh, boy. To watch Orange Cassidy and Okada. Oh, and Rocky Romero. To watch Orange Cassidy and Okada's back. And then you get this weird, you know, square square off. I keep calling it that. This weird face-off between the uh, Blackpool babyface heels and Orange Cassidy and his folks. And... But did Claudio cheat to... I don't, I, hold on, I'm going to play if this. If Claudio didn't cheat to win, then why did the other babyface knock his partner out you're not i don't well let me try i got it on my dvr 
I have it here. Okay. I have it here on YouTube actually, because uh, it's not on uh, the episode. So AEW put up the last few minutes for everyone who's DVR didn't. Oh, good, yeah, because nobody that DVR the show was going to see the finish either. Like every fucking week, so they have to put it on YouTube, even though they've got a television show, because they can't manage their time. All so, right. can you explain to me by watching it what the fuck happened? I'm a little a little past eight minutes into their video. Okada is in the middle of the ring. He is lifting his arms in his Rainmaker pose. Orange Cassidy is taking advantage of that by giving him a hug. The camera zooms out again. Danielson with a dropkick kicking both competitors in his new green and blue trunks. I thought it was a one-time thing in Seattle. It's every time thing now. Him and Okada going back and forth. Okada's a foot taller than him. Yet the dropkick was unimpressive. He did not really take Danielson's head off with that dropkick. And while Okada has Danielson from behind, Orange Cassidy gave him the punch. Okada turned that into his Rainmaker clothesline. And now he goes for it on Claudio. Claudio instead off the second rope with a European uppercut, which always looks like shit. And now he gives one to Orange Cassidy, who he throws high in the air. Claudio, clean pin, Orange Cassidy. And now... Danielson on the apron, selling his jaw. No one knows what's going on. Philadelphia has not been this quiet since, I don't know when, actually. Every one of their shows had pretty lively crowds. <laughs> but Danielson being looked at by Doc Sampson. Philadelphia hadn't been this quiet since the bell cracked. And now Claudio is concerned. Claudio coming over to check on his fallen Blackpool Combat Club compadre. The Doc is talking into his headset. Claudio is waving someone. He's asking for some kind of help. Here comes Wheeler Yuta, not a paramedic. And Moxley, who doesn't seem all that concerned, actually. What the? They are pouring water over Danielson's jaw. Oh, my God. Because that would, uh, I would think, help. And now outcome, who's hitting the ring now? It is, yes, the best friends and Rocky Romero and Hook and Chris Statlander. And Okada is... I thought he was checking on Danielson. He's actually taunting him a little bit while Moxley and Claudio stand there and stare at him. Hook is down on one knee. He's either having a religious moment or he just doesn't know what to do because there's not much to do. Just a lot of people standing there staring at each other. It was a clean victory, by the way. There was no cheating involved in any way. Next week, they they just announced next week, Claudio Castagnoli versus Orange Cassidy. Oh, good Lord. So they beat Okada, right? No, they beat Orange Cassidy. Oh, they beat, okay, at least they beat Pockets. So to give him some level of heat back, as they say, the kids these days, they have him knock out Danielson to the point where he needs medical attention with that fake phony looking fucking buggy whip arm punch. Listen, the end of this show is everyone standing around like they don't know what to do. Like they're waiting for someone to say, it's over, go back now. Like every, like Okada, it was like he was taunting him too much to the point where why is Moxley just standing there and taking? Why isn't Moxley doing anything? Because actually, what's he going to do if Okada didn't want him to do something? Probably nothing, actually. Probably fucking nothing, and like it, with a smile on his face. Fucking bald, sunken, chested fucking plumber. All right, well, there we go. Uh, that was AEW Dynamite. We don't have the ratings just yet, but we may either shortly or after some... 
Yeah, we may have time, to time travel. travel just to see what happened there. It'll look like the fucking Dow Jones average on in October 1929. Well, uh, before we go too much further, Jim, let me hit you with a couple of things real quick that are just in the news. Get your thoughts. I just got an email from WWE Communications. WWE offers U.S. military service members and veterans complimentary WWE live event tickets. WWE is proud to support our nation's military service members and veterans and has always offered active duty service members the opportunity to see a show as our guest. In celebration of Veterans Day this November, WWE is extending the complimentary ticket offer to include all veterans with a valid veteran ID. Find an upcoming WWE live event in your hometown at WWE.com. This offer can be redeemed at the venue box office on the day of the show only and is valid for one complimentary ticket while supplies last. Any thoughts on this? You know, that's actually a wonderful thing for them to do. And you can't even... At first, I was thinking, well, who's the sponsor? They're going to say in partnership with Skittles or whatever, but they didn't do that. And it's not like they're having trouble selling tickets these days and they need a crowd or they need to paper the building. So that's not the ulterior motive. So maybe they're just, they're just being nice. Imagine that. The new ownership, you know, maybe this is a honeymoon period where they actually act like human beings. Then we'll probably revert to the previous, you know, attitudes. But uh, no, I think that that's commendable of them to do something like that. Now, I'll tell you what, you get some of those rowdy World War II veterans in the building, they're going to cause some trouble. Somebody might get stabbed. Think about that. Imagine if you're 97 years old, Brian. You haven't seen a show since Bill Longson was the world champion. Yeah, they're liable to fucking lose control of themselves, go over the rail, hit the ring, cause some trouble. Might have to double security. Might have to watch. This is going to start happening. But Jim, another story that we will get to today that a lot of the listeners have been sending in. I have one here from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. Caleb Caton sent this over. It's from Twitter. After the announcement that Impact Wrestling, going back in time, their own time travel machine, we go forward, they go backwards. Reverting. Reverting to TNA, tits and ass wrestling, or total nonstop action wrestling. Whichever works better for you. But we have a tweet from at the Vince Russo. Oh, good Lord. I'm just going to say it. If those at, quote, Impact Wrestling, unquote, are serious about going back to TNA, in quotes, then you at least have to go back and pick the brain of the guy who named it TNA. Uh, All in caps. If you don't, dot, 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 then you're just changing ring aprons, and it's all BS. Ah, uh, he's still proud of it. He thinks it was a good thing. He doesn't realize that they changed their name before because it had become synonymous with Drek Wrestling, and we just talked about this on the last program. The current owners and administration of Impact Wrestling have created a situation where people are actually nostalgic for Drek, and whatever they've been doing is so rotten 
that people are going back to, or they're wanting to go back to, a period of time when they were somehow less rotten. And that's a standard. And now this fucking clueless moron thinks this is all a good thing, and he wants to be a part of it. Naturally. <laughs> because he wants to be a part of anything. Because nobody wants him to be a part of their thing. They want him to be a part from them. A long way apart. For the kids who say this is toxic and that's toxic, old shit stain has reached that high bar. He's so fucking poisonous. Nobody, whether it's the clown wrestlers, the cosplay wrestlers, the trampoline cowboys, the outlaws, the garbage wrestlers, nobody wants him around. But he's begging again. You see, that's the thing. It's the begging part. Do you think he's really doing, like, is this for show to get attention or does he really think they're going to have a Why do you want that kind of attention? Well, if they're supposed to have a conversation, hey, did you see Vince Russo's tweet? Yeah, I did. You know what? Let's bring him in. Maybe now he has interesting things to say. As opposed to never in the past 20 years. Right. What is this supposed to prompt? That's why, that's why I say is it that's for the attention? Thing. Or? It's, it, he doesn't realize what he's doing, and it's sad out in public, and if I cared anything about him as a human being, which I don't, I'd feel bad for him. But since I fucking hate him, and think he's the most miserable piece of shit that ever walked besides Donald Trump, I can laugh at this. And again, he's begging people, talk to me. I did this 30 years ago. I did this 28 years ago. I've done nothing else before or since, but talk to me. He's always telling Vince and Vince's minions, I can tell you how to make Raw better or SmackDown better. Now these dipshits, I can tell you how to make tits and ass wrestling better. No, you can't. You're the reason they had to change their name to begin with. It's just, it's been so fucking long since it's been rotten in that way that the people are more used to the current rotten and they want some different rotten. That's why they're going back to your name, but they don't want you to be involved in it. So get a hobby. Do something else that you could be good at. I know you're only 62, Vince, but you've had a little time. Maybe you could find that thing that you're good at. But quit begging for jobs from people that do not want you around. They've all smartened up at this point. My point that I was making 25 years ago has gradually sunk into everybody else's head. You're an idiot, and you don't know what you're doing, and nobody wants to play with you anymore. So go the fuck away. Quit begging. It's cheap. It's tawdry. Good Lord. I understand he submitted a resume, but in sending it to Scott DeMore, he actually sent, accidentally sent it to Scott Dickinson. <laughs> you got the wrong Scott. Like, you got the and, wrong Mike and, that one time. And unfortunately, the, the other people that he tried to send it to, he violated his own restraining orders against him. See, that's, no, that's, that, I'm just, I'll close by saying he still thinks that it was a good thing, as we talked about on the show last week, that I went to advertisers or cable people, and the first thing, they laughed, hits and ass wrestling. And it was a joke. It was his emotionally 
immature arrested development idea of a joke to that what he thought would appeal to the low class trashy people that he thought watched wrestling. And it was a fucking joke like him and his whole goddamn life and his whole career. I'm done. I mean, that's the other thing. You were just evaluating the name. Fans will think there'll be women half naked. Yes. That'd be great. That'll make them watch the show. Not the wrestling. The women who are almost nude, but not nude. That's the Vince Russo update here today. Still begging. You'll never guess, Jim, but once again, we are in the future. Help me. Help me. Suddenly, I have the head of a fly. Or is it the head of a guy and the body of a fly? I'm a fly guy. All right. Well, there's no uh, easy transition from fly guy to anything else, but why don't we fly along and... I'll tell you what, there's no easy transition (laughs) for Tony to life after wrestling after the ratings this week, huh? Again, there's a bunch of stories happening at once. It's the television show quality. Now you could say it's the television show ratings. It's the amount of people buying or not buying tickets to their shows. But hey, they had Wembley. Let's never forget that. We'll we'll always remember Wembley. Jim AEW Dynamite. Tony Storm is going to be making movies about Wembley here pretty soon. And they'll be silent. Jim A.W. Dynamite that we just reviewed from October 25th, Wednesday night on TBS, was watched on average by 774,000 viewers. Yowch! Boom goes the dynamite. The chickens come home to poop. Isn't that an old saying? Well, it's something like that. I think it's the, um, the poop comes home to roost. That's it. That's it. Well, let's see what this rooster poop did quarter by quarter. Quarter 1, 8 to 8.15 p.m. These were compiled by WrestleNomics. MJF, Roderick Strong, and the Kingdom backstage during their promo, and the beginning of Juice Robinson versus MJF with picture-in-picture, 982,000 viewers. Boom! So they... (laughs) And you said the average was 774? That is correct. Was there a massive power blackout on the East Coast? Maybe voluntarily. Possibly. Well, let's let's go from here and see where the journey takes us. Quarter 2, 8.15, 8.30 p.m., the continuation of Juice Robinson versus MJF. Bullet Club Gold, MJF, and the acclaimed and Billy Gunn's live angle. And then MJF and Kenny Omega's ramp confrontation. 936,000 viewers, and also the high point in the key demo, 394,000. So they couldn't, even with all that MJF that they were spreading around the first half hour, they couldn't keep people there. Well, whatever they started from, the Big Bang must have been popular that evening. Maybe they just lost 50,000 of the Big Bangers that didn't like the, the Bang Gang Banger, ganger, clangers. Should there be a crossover event with the Bang Bang Gang and the Big Bang and the Big Bang Club? What is it? The Big Bang Fury. (laughs) Everybody could get banged. It could be a big fucking deal bang. They could call it the Big Bang. Start all over again. Well, let's see. uh, 
how they started for segment three, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m., an ad break, a Wardlow that, video. That may have been the high point of the demo. No, go ahead. The Wardlow video, Hook and Rob Van Dam versus Alex Reynolds and John Silver of the Dark Order with Picture in Picture, 752,000 viewers. Oh, my God. That's a hundred and, I can't do this math, a hundred and eighty. 4,000 people in 15 minutes said, fuck you. What did the, the Super Bowl start on the other channel? And for the record, the key demo went from 394, the high point, to 286. Yeah. I'm looking right now at a cable guy. Can I get it from two days ago? Let me see. One day back, October 25th. So we're talking 8.30 p.m. approximately. There was Celebrity Jeopardy on ABC. There was Survivor on CBS. Sullivan's Crossing on CW, whatever that is. The NBA, the Celtics versus the Knicks on ESPN, but that game started, I believe, 7.30, certainly before 8 o'clock. Did, did somebody, was there like a triple Lindy fucking four-point goal or a double dunk and somebody got their brains bashed out or something they would switch over in the middle no they would just go to twitter and see the clip of that uh oh. but there was nothing like that though it was no, it was just a a game i mean it's the beginning of the season but nothing big at that point at 8 30 that would cause people other than the fact that mjf was no longer <laughs> on the screen to jump off that show all righty quarter four eight forty five to 9 p.m the Tony Storm video with picture-in-picture picture and a full-screen ad break. And then Sting receives the gift of Ric Flair, as well as Christian Cage's live <laughs> promo. 756,000 viewers. They only got 4,000 more for Ric Flair walking out. Again, Ric Flair in 2023 isn't what Ric Flair was in previous years, but he's still Ric Flair, for good or for bad. Is that something you want as a surprise, or is that something that should be announced? Considering his history as a ratings mover, is that something that should have been announced ahead of time? Well, again, if he's going to be around, if he's if he didn't book himself and that's the arrangement where he's going to be here a lot, then I can understand him making a surprise the first time, because like anything going to happen, you know, there's some cachet you can earn sometimes with that, but uh, then what did the next quarter do? Because Ric Flair showing up on Twitter should get 4,000 people in the fucking United States to switch over in a couple of minutes, right? They did. oh, Ric Flair just showed up. And Well, you're not too far off when you said 4,000. Quarter 5, 9 to 9, 15 p.m. The continuation of Sting, Ric Flair, Darby Allen, and Christian Cage's confrontation. The Chris Jericho backstage promo at Renee. Adam Page and the Young Bucks versus Isaiah Cassidy and the Hardys with picture in picture, 764,000 viewers. Uh, well, no, there's 8,000. I know, I said 8, you were 000. close. I said you were I, close. I was close, yeah. Mm-hmm. For Gazenda, eight. Uh, boy, howdy. Okay. Well, at least we know where the... Overall average is coming from, but I think they've still got a bit a bit of more plummeting to do, don't they? Well, quarter six, <laughs> when you put it like that, it's nothing but funny. Well, quarter six, 9.15 to 9.30 p.m., 
the continuation of the Bucks and Page versus Cassidy and the Hardys with the post-match with Swerve Strickland and Prince Nana breaking into Adam Page's home <laughs> and terrorizing his baby. Also, his ad- invisible baby. An ad break. Adam Copeland's confrontation with Sting and Darby Allen, and the beginning of Hikaru Shida versus Ruby Soho, 726,000 viewers. And there goes another 38,000 of, and is this now going to be called the EVP effect? If this was science fiction, I think it is science fiction. If you look at it fairly, without any personal feelings or anything involved. When was the last time the Young Bucks had a positive impact on AEW programming or events? I get the only time I can remember them drawing an above average quarter hour was when they went on first, which is kind of a gimme. And maybe a couple of times when they were tied to Omega, who people actually do want to see, no matter what you want to say, they want to see yeah. him a lot more than they do the Young Bucks. Yeah, when they're out there by themselves or with Hangnail, because... Yeah, exactly. You know, my God, he's like a fucking... I can't form a cogent simile. He, he's like a charisma vacuum in that it's just nothing happens around him. It's just whininess. Go ahead. Quarter 7, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m., the continuation of... That incredible Sheeta versus Ruby Soho match with picture in picture, as well as a post match with Tony Storm coming out. MJF's backstage confrontation with Samoa Joe, another ad break, and the beginning of the entrances for the main event. 643,000 viewers. Oh, good lord. Now, once again, there was the Mavericks and the Spurs started at 9 p.m. So even if you want to say that game affected the 9 p.m. hour, this is 9.30 we're talking about now. And, well, they've lost 764 to 643, 121,000 people since the top of the hour by quarter seven. Young Bucks followed by the women's division is going to kill an audience every single time. But there's one thing that could finish it off, and that's quarter eight, (laughs) 9.45 to 10 p.m., Okada and Orange Cassidy versus Brian Danielson. The, the unknown and the unwanted. Versus Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli with picture in picture. There's also an overrun. The concussed and the confused. 646,000 viewers. Three minute overrun, 716,000. Yeah, and I don't think those extra. 70,000 people showed up just to see the last three minutes of this grip. Remember the last three minutes you tried to explain to me was a lot of people standing around. So the, that extra 70,000 was probably whoever was waiting for the start of the program they wanted to watch. Right. The other option is someone was watching another show and it was 10 o'clock and the show ended and they're like, hey, I wonder if wrestling, if they're just still on, like maybe they messed up the time and they'd still be on. And it turns out they did, and they were. <laughs> but that's uh, that's how you Blair, kill an Blair audience. didn't get a didn't get any audience gain, but yeah, but the last three minutes of that. So yeah, I, I, they got one guy there that matters, and that's MJF, and they're doing what they can. It seems like to kill everything he has going for him. But he's the one guy they have that actually people tune in to see what's going on with him. Wait a minute, from start to finish, they lost three hundred and. 
36,000 viewers, right? Right. And 336 Gazenda 982, at least, let's see, see, they lost almost 40% of the viewers they started with by the end of the program. Is that some kind of record? It just may be. It just may be. And I mean, look, it was a bad show. And I said to you when we were talking about it during the review, there are times they do these bad shows and you're like, Jesus, they actually popped a number somehow. But this was really bad and sloppy and unfunny and uncreative and poor. And there's no one who's a star anywhere. Okada is a great wrestler. I'm a fan of his. You put him in there with someone I wouldn't watch him with. But let's go to the fans who have no idea who he is, which is the vast majority of the viewing audience. You gave them nothing to tune into. You gave them nothing. That women's division, at this point, it really is just like the women's token match on the show in the kill the ratings spot. And the problem is they put the women in that spot and then they bomb. Sheeta versus Soho was awful. It was embarrassing. It wasn't ready for television. And then you take a step back. It wasn't even ready for radio. The Young Bucks, who make a lot of money, do they earn it? Do they earn it? How much merch are they moving now? How many times have they ever popped a number? Or at least in the last two and a half, three years? Is there anyone you want to see them in the ring with? Do you feel like you've seen all you can see from them? Does anyone want to see Adam Page? The swerve stuff, it's like one step forward, three steps back every time. It's like, wow, he did a good promo. Or wow, he had a good match. Oh, now he's committing some sort of fucking felony on camera. <laughs> With Nana. Nana's from Queens. He should, be, he should know better than to participate in stuff like this. I know Nana. He would never allow himself to be evidenced. They put Sting on the mic again. It didn't do anything to help. They brought out Ric Flair with no prior announcement. Got a lot of negative feedback from AEW fans. If you're going to do it, at least try to get something out of it. Other than just YouTube video. Uh, the YouTube numbers for that clip are great. It's better than everything else on the show. That no one wanted to watch. The promotion's in such bad shape. I'm trying to pull up right now because someone just posted it before. Here are the numbers. Let's real quick talk about this. AEW, Wednesday, November 1st at KFC Yum Center in Louisville. I, I just saw this on, on the Twitter. The current setup in that building, and you can correct me, it's 20,000 plus seats, I believe, right? Yes, yes. It's, um, well, I mean, I think they can do up to 22,000 for basketball with concerts that have stages. It, it comes down a bit, but Jesus Christ, yes, it's a giant fucking building. Giant building. WrestleTix put this up. Current setup is for 4,295 people. <laughs> the current tickets distributed are 2,556, which is up 319 in the last week. They sold 319 tickets advertising on Raw, having the big show basically give away tickets at OVW, whatever was happening there. They're, they're buying spots on SmackDown, too, be fair. And there are currently 1,739 tickets available. Now, look, you have to think there will be some kind of walk-up, and maybe they'll be able to fill the 4,200 seats plus. Out of the 22,000. Why are they running? Are there other buildings that are in the 5,000-seat range in your area? Well, again, 
It, it, they could go to, I don't know what they're doing with Broadbent Arena at the fairgrounds these days. Seats about 6,000. They usually do rodeos and things uh, in conjunction with the state fair, but there's been wrestling. Uh, Crockett ran there in the 80s. Um, I believe Impact has done something there in the past or when it was TNA or whatever the fuck. Uh, there have been house shows, I think even WWF, EF, which, whichever, had a house show there. You, But it might not look great on television, but goddamn, it would be cheaper. And you might be able to see some of the people in there. If you can only get 3,000 to begin with, it'd be half a house instead of a tenth of a house. All right, and uh, here's another idea. If there's not a place in a town that you can't draw more than 25% of the pop of the capacity of the building, maybe skip running there. The problem is it seems like there aren't a lot of places they can go and draw people. I mean, again, pay-per-views are a little different, especially if it's a big theme thing and people are traveling in for it. But I mean, this is something we actually said, if you go back in like 2019, before dynamite ever started, we know there are people who will jump on a plane and go to Chicago or Vegas and want to be a part of the festivity of AEW. Yeah. How long is that going to last for the actual weekly television tapings? And it didn't last long, but it held up pretty good, all things considered, especially with the pandemic. They've run everyone off. They're about to do Omega and MJF at Mohegan Sun. <laughs> you think that's going to draw? Do you know where that is? It's in the middle yes. of nowhere. Well, and, and uh, it, it's noted in the wrestling industry because Vince has done raw there before because it's right down the road from Stamford and right down the road from the office and they've got an arena and but it's not like it's a prestigious you know travel location there it's a casino in Connecticut and they're just throwing that match and I would actually that's a match I would pay to see that is a match I would pay to see MJF versus Omega it'll be a match on collision and did they son. did they book that because they just somebody just realized wait a minute he's going to be champion longer than Kenny was in two weeks oh shit let's do something see there is something there if you gave that a build over time right there's a story that could be told there instead I'd, of just I'd, all I'd, of a sudden I'd actually I'll go out on a limb and agree with you and say that I would rather see Kenny and MJF at the main event of the pay-per-view than MJF and Jay White, if they're still doing that after MJF has a handicap match against the, the blah, blah, blah. I think they should have switched that. Yeah. Seriously, what matches people are, what is, what matches people going to pay for? What match are people going to pay for? <laughs> a lot of people don't think it'd be like it is, but it do. You're right, though. Jay White versus MJF is the TV match, even though that's the feud. But it's not really a feud that's helping MJF. Omega, here's the thing. Out of all the feuds MJF's currently in, I think the fans want to see him in Omega. I think the fans still want to see him in Samoa Joe. Yeah. I think the fans may be interested in him and Wardlow just because this is kind of the last shot for Wardlow. Like, there's got to, if there's nothing here with this, there's nothing here. And then it's like Bullet Club Gold <laughs> at the very end of the list. <laughs> so we shall see, but... You know, AEW this week, like you said, 300 and something thousand viewers, 100,000 viewers, I should say, shaved off, just shaved right off. Just clipped, just buzzed. Are they doing it effectively? I mean, these are just big drastic cuts from 
quarter two to quarter three, and then from quarter, what, six to quarter seven? Should they pay closer attention? Do they need new instruments? Do they need new tools to do this? Am I making any sense, or is this just gibberish? No, I can, I can do something with it, but then again, I'm a miracle worker. The thing is, you don't want to make massive cuts when you're doing your personal grooming. You don't want to talk about anything about massive cuts or just chopping shit off right and left, willy-nilly, indiscriminately. You don't want to talk about that when you're talking about your personal grooming, Brian. That's what you were trying to say, wasn't it? Yes, that was what I was trying to say. Well, there you go. Then I just said it for you. Thank you, sir. And I'll tell you something else I have right here in my hand, ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 no. Let's not do that on the air. No, that's not what I've got in my hand. I have right here in my hand, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you what, I've been up and down the highways and byways of America. I've done my boarding with the warden and I've lived on the bounty of the county and never have I seen a more incredible personal grooming product then our fine friends at Manscaped have brought to market than the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's so good, it's not only a number higher, but it's got a nickname too. And I'm telling you what, it deserves all of it because they have taken the greatest personal grooming product on the planet and improved it, made it better, made it stronger and faster than it was before, and it comes packaged so nicely. Brian, I had to save this because. Not only does it come in its own little hard case carrying box implement case, but even the packaging, the cardboard overwrap with a tear strip so that you can open it up and see the package within is such high quality. I want to set this on my shelf. I want to make it a display item. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm tempted to get two of them. One of them I don't have to open and keep it as a collectible. It's beautiful. I wish Mr. Manscaped would have... <laughs> you know, it's amazing that he took his last name and made a career out of it. I don't think that's how it worked. If he would have autographed this with a silver Sharpie, this thing, I'd put it in a shadow box. But are you ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull the tab and open up this incredible Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra with the skin-safe technology, the dual-head system, the waterproof body, it's compatible with USBs and other things. I can't see it. I ain't got my glasses on. <laughs> it's got the dual temp LED spotlight and the travel lock. Would you like to hear me open this overwrap? Oh, you're really going to do this? An unboxing I'm, live on the air? I'm going to do it. All right. The 5.0, the lawnmower 5.0 really makes you realize how long they've been with us. I think we started with the 2.0 with them. I believe we did. But let's do it. And and before that, I was just using my garden shears and Harley's <laughs> poopy butt trimmers. No, but anyway, no. listen to this. Boom! Pull that strip and the top of the cardboard display box unfolds. My God, the We Save Balls Manscaped logo is on there. The gold standard of groin grooming. Inside the cardboard box, you have a pull tab that contains your entire instruction booklet. And boy, it's available in, looks like at least four or five languages. But you got all the information right there. And then there's a little, a little pull tab so that you can pull the beautiful, hear that? Lawnmower 5.0 display case out of the goddamn deal. 
It comes in a little tray. You've got your listen carry bag that you unzips and you put everything in there. It's even got a do not eat silica desiccant package in case you ever need some silica desiccant. And it's got the charging cord, the plug, and the dual heads. Now, listen to this, Brian. Hold on here as I get this thing out of here. God this damn you, well. come out of there, son of a bitch. Oh, it's so lovely. You goddamn motherfucker. Oh, <laughs> there you, we go. Will you relax? And see, what you do is you can, it, it's got two heads. So you can either use the regular kind of trimming head, or you can use this incredibly silky, smooth trimming head that you just put right on here through some fashion that I'm going to read about later on when we're off the air. And there you go. And, it, and I don't... Oh, listen to that power. Holy shit, it's... It's shaking my hand. Well, this... It's, it's going down to my crotch. It's got an auto crotch finder no it does it's not just, it's shaving me automatically no it's not that's not how it works and of course you did hear it in fact go on and now he's going into his fun improv ladies and gentlemen but there's nothing but safety applied you're talking about my fun improv down there for heaven's sake it'll do everything for you it just i had to turn it off or it was it was going to shave me all the way to my ankles but this is a fine and ergonomically designed so you can hold it in your hand I'm telling you what, it's a game changer to say the least, Brian. So now we both got one and they're all, and did we tell the people how to get one? Uh, we didn't yet. Of course, two heads are better than one. Why don't you tell them? It was a song by Nelson, I believe, but tell well, them how they can get this. If you want to get at least some head when you need it, and there's two of them in here, folks, so you can pick, well, go to manscaped.com. And use the code DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping on this brand new state-of-the-art space-age designed Manscaped Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Manscaped.com, the code DRIVE, 20% off and free shipping, and the box alone is worth the price of admission. It's a, just, a, it's amazing. And oh, and the instruction booklet actually has English too, and uh, uh, very well-drawn pictures so that you can see, obviously, what you're sticking in and what you're doing. All right. Well, that's uh, Manscaped. What's the promo one more time, Jim? A drive. Just drive right on over. Drive to over your, to Manscaped. Well, drive on over to your computer. And then go to manscaped.com and then use the code DRIVE to get 20% off and free shipping. It even tells you how to clean the thing. Which thing? The Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. What thing do you think I'm talking about? I don't about? know. I don't know if that's your little nickname for your little friend, The Thing. Uh, no, that's Lord Gadabout down there. <laughs> so anyway, manscaped.com. And there's nice little oh. tissue paper on the top so that it's not scuffed in any way. All right. Well, maybe Lord Cadbury can use that in a little while or... Uh... What'd you say, Lord Go Behind? What was his name? Lord, Lord Gadabout. Gadabout. Well, let's uh, get about a few more stories here before we get out of here, Jim. I have the latest article here from Sports Illustrated or SI.com by Justin Barrasso. Dana White on Vince McMahon 
quote, he's an absolute savage. He's the Michael Jordan of the business world. So we have some quotes here from Dana White. A lot of listeners have been sending this in. Vince McMahon always viewed the UFC as competition. As a result, Dana White, a fellow promoter with New England roots, became an instant adversary. Despite success extending the UFC around the globe, which is also a strength of the WWE, White never found common ground with McMahon. Yet, that has changed drastically since WWE merged with Endeavor, the parent company of UFC. Now, under the same banner, White, the UFC CEO, and McMahon, WWE's executive chairman of the board, after decades of opposition, are finally working together. Here's the uh, first quote. I'll stop after this, get some thoughts. I'm just, is the guy in the preamble, is he overstating this rivalry somewhat? That they have worked together and been complimentary, especially Dana about Vince as far as his business practices. I think there's probably things we know about, things we don't know about, but Vince McMahon fucks with competition, no matter who they are. Whoever he decides is his competition, he is going to fuck with them. Some would say use predatory business practices on them and then pretend none of that happened and that he loves competition. He loves the American way and uh, everyone should just support him. But here's the truth and justice. All right. Give me the give me the quotes, baby. My history with Vince isn't a good one. He tried to fuck me so many times for no reason whatsoever, except just to fuck me. But that's in the past. Now that Vince and I are allies, no one's been a better partner than Vince. So there's the first quote. What do you think of that? Oh, God. I mean, I love Dana White. He, he's gotten away with his, his, his brand of uh, promo for quite some time now because it's uniquely him. And I'm just trying to think, what could we, how could he have fucked or tried to fuck Dana White in ways that we may not have heard about? Who knows? Could be... Again, we've had issues in the past with Brock Lesnar, where he was working for UFC, I think, when Vince still had problems with him. We've had probably issues over what night someone was going to run a pay-per-view. A lot of things we don't know about, but... Let me but give- well, and that, that's the thing. It'd be fascinating to find out what Vince did in response to some of these things that apparently has not been reported. As promoters, White and McMahon share a lot of connective tissue. Both men took brands considered too niche and violent into the mainstream. White is doing that again with his Power Slap promotion. (laughs) Power Slap. Which has a fight card later tonight from Vegas, and he is grateful to work with McMahon. Wait, is that thing still happening? They took it off television, right? I think we see why he agreed to do an interview with Justin Barrasso to promote that. And he is grateful to work with McMahon, who brings six decades worth of expertise and high-level acumen to his work. Back to the quotes here. Since day one of the deal, it's like I'm dealing with a different person. It goes to show that when you oppose him, or he thinks you are opposing him, the guy comes after you blindly. Once you are aligned, Vince is an incredible partner. We've probably spoken on the phone 20 times since the deal. It's all added value conversation with Vince doing work and raising the bar for both companies. So I'll stop there again. What does it say? 
It goes to show that if it, you oppose him or if he thinks you're opposing yeah, him. <laughs> yes. He's not... He's not necessarily worried about the exact details. It's just if you might be on the wrong side. And I I think he's got Vince down. But again, if they're on the same side, that means that, you know, Vince could like the guy or could admire something about him and think, well, but we're opposition. So, you know, he must be crushed. But if they're on the same side, even if he doesn't like him, he can justify it with, well, but if he does well, I do well. And if he can help me or whatever the fuck, it's all business with Vince. Did Vince ever express to you, and probably not, because I mean, it's not the kind of thing you would just ask him or he would come out and say, but from your time around him, why do you think he sees anything else in the space as competition, like another wrestling company or smaller wrestling company? Why is everything so personal to him as? being a competitive thing. Like, no one could exist in the space. There's room for Ringling Brothers and no other circus. Well, but no. There's just no other room for a national circus. Remember, he was more than willing to work with Jerry Jarrett over in Memphis or me in Knoxville. Or because there was not only... There was not competition by the nature of what we were doing. We were never going to be. Didn't want to be. Not going to try to be. And that helped him because he could still at least get some guys. And then when that went by the wayside, he realized he had to do developmental. It's just he feels like he's got to be the brand, the national face. If somebody's going to try to be getting national television, starting to bid enough money to interest some of his talent enough to upset his goddamn pay uh, schedules, Whatever the case, if it's going to impact his business, that's when he it gets on his radar. And, you know, and it, it's varying points because at some point, even on with TNA on Spike that was doing better numbers than AEW is doing now, it wasn't like it was the most pressing thing in the world to run them out of business every day when they got to the level they were going to get to and were kind of doing it by themselves. But he's always going to try to make a strategic move of this guy can't or this company can't get this building or this network or don't fuck with our merchandise partner or whatever if it gets to that. Let me finish this off here. As WWE seeks a new media rights deal for Raw and NXT, White has been eager to watch McMahon at work, particularly now that they are both part of Endeavor. This is a marked change from the past, where White shared positive working relationships with Paul Triple H Levesque and Stephanie McMahon, but never with Vince. Back to Dana. Triple H and Stephanie have always been great to work with. I've always had a great relationship with them. Always. Even when we weren't aligned back in the day. But the most amazing story is the relationship with Vince McMahon. <laughs> White finds himself in awe of McMahon's work ethic and tenacity. Oh, especially considering the longtime WWE boss is two years shy of turning 80. Here's the final quote Vince McMahon, man, he's an absolute savage. <laughs> Even with the stuff that went down with us in the past, I respect it. I love killers. He's definitely a killer. He's the Michael Jordan of the business world. 
Good Lord, he's wanting the meetings to be pleasant and amicable, isn't he, Dana? Um, again, here's the thing is, with Dana, I think he sees that, well, we're going to be having to be in the same room a lot, and we and it's like with Trump. He, Vince loves praise and, you know, being petted and everything in a public fashion like that, but being a man's man. And I think that the reason why that Dana White's relationship with Triple H and Stephanie may have been better is because, remember, we've talked about when when Dan Severn was there in the 90s, Ken Shamrock, Vince didn't know what the fuck was going on with ultimate fighting or mixed martial arts, right? And for a while, it took him a while to catch up, uh, probably till Brock became a thing. But Triple H, because a bunch of the guys of that generation are fans of the UFC and understand that there is, or at least used to be a crossover before wrestling got completely fucking soft and phony, and that you could get talent from one world and take it to the other, vice versa. And so, of course, Triple H is going to be more into that because, you know, like Shane was, because it was a different generation. Vince had no no idea besides the commercials he might see on the pay-per-view Barker channel when it was Semaphore Entertainment. There are no rules. And he's like, what the fuck is this? Well, Jim, let's stay on the topic uh, before we get out of here of Endeavor. Endeavor put out a press release earlier this week. Endeavor announces review of strategic alternatives. Beverly Hills, California. Endeavor Group Holdings, a global sports and entertainment company, today announced the initiation of a formal review to evaluate strategic alternatives to the company. As part of this review of strategic alternatives, the company will not consider the sale or disposition of the company's interest in TKO Group Holdings Incorporated. Here's a quote from Ari Emanuel. Given the continued dislocation between Endeavor's public value and the intrinsic value of Endeavor's underlying assets, we believe an evaluation of strategic alternatives is a prudent approach to ensure we are maximizing value for our shareholders. Endeavor has not set a deadline or a definitive timetable for the completion of strategic alternatives review process, or the strategic alternatives review process, and there could be no assurance that this process will revolt, revolt. This process will result in any <laughs> particular outcome. The company does not intend to comment further regarding the review of strategic alternatives What? until it determines disclosure is necessary or advisable. Here is a statement that a publicly traded company is putting out there to say either they're looking at a way to raise money to buy every, all the stock back and go private, or they're looking to sell their company. That's what it sounds like to me. There are not too many other strategic alternatives. Who's going to buy this, or who will give us the money to buy it back for ourselves? It sounds like deja vu all over again, doesn't it, with the strategic alternatives business? Vince McMahon about uh, a year ago, right? Yeah, but okay, well, and you kind of summed it up, but in that word salad of nonsensical business mumbo jumbo, that basically can only be one of two things. Either they want to endeavor the the whole ball of wax, TKO, which is the WWE and UFC is part of Endeavor, right? Well, Along no, with other endeavors. No, well, no actually. Technically, what? 
they're not part of Endeavor. They are spun off as a separate publicly traded company. Endeavor is a shareholder in TKO Group Holdings. Okay, well, all right, well, all right. Well, you know, I'm just a small town bird lawyer. So then if somebody bought Endeavor, they would technically be the new owners of TKO, which is UFC and WWE. Right, if the Saudi Arabians, or well, if anyone decided to come in and spend a lot of money for a company that, you know, this is the thing I always get concerned with. They think that Wall Street's not valuing them high enough. It's hard to value something high enough with this much. I mean, they see that they're cutting overhead. I see this as nothing but overhead. Two gigantic companies like UFC and WWE combined, let alone everything else Endeavor has under their umbrella. It's hard to make money. Like, the bigger you get, it's hard to make money with that. I don't know. That, that'd be my concern. But Well, but the point is either they're going to buy it for themselves through someone's financing or they're going to sell it. But then again, that could mean that somebody else would be Ari Emanuel in this hierarchy over here with the wrestling and the MMA. Potentially. I mean, I guess the interesting thing, again, TKO Group Holdings is a publicly traded company, although as we've seen, there's nothing to stop a publicly traded company from going private if they have the money there. But the interesting thing is, if anything did happen, if Endeavor was taken over by another company, if TKO at any point was made private and sold as a separate entity, if anything happens, we're going from a period of time where we had one family ownership of a wrestling company for decades, to all of a sudden we could have multiple people in the picture within a decade. That's where it gets interesting, because Vince McMahon's not living forever. And... We don't even know what his position in the company will be a year from now. We know that he could sell his stock at any time, and no one else has that. And we know that there are, have been comments made by Ari Emanuel publicly that Vince has nothing to do with creative anymore, that they made the decision to put Triple H in complete control. You know, the drama around the ownership of WWE or anything, an entity that owns them, may continue for a while. Is there a limit? Or is this the, the goddamn business world version of the blob? So somebody might come along and buy this and gobble that, and then something else. If, if, are we headed toward one company owning everything in the whole world? I think we're headed towards Endeavor trying to raise money from more than likely foreign entities in the Middle East. Entities. And using that money to buy back their stock and make it a private company. Because again, if they're honestly believing that their stock is being undervalued by Wall Street, you have to think that problem may not go away. <laughs> so, you know, that's like, you know, podcast one, and we'll talk about them again very soon on the experience. But, you know, they promised eight to $12 a share. Where was the support for that? That's what they think, or at least that's what they're publicly saying they think their stock is worth. But there's no basis of that. Again, Endeavor is a serious company as opposed to podcast one. Endeavor saying we think our stock's worth this. If the investors don't think so, if the street doesn't think so, it isn't. Very well put. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Jim, a couple more things before we get out of here. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter is reporting today. Randy Orton's WWE return looks to be about a month away. He's been out of action since May of 2022. He underwent back fusion surgery last year. 
And according to Dave in the latest Observer, the suggested time frame for a return is Survivor Series. Currently, Orton is 43 years old. What are your thoughts about a potential Randy Orton return? Well, boom. He's been, he's been gone so long, I forgot about him. <laughs> you know? Well, now, come on now. Not in a bad way, but he's been gone a long time. I mean, well, and boy, there you go, because how can we miss you if you won't go away? And he's been, it'll be a year and a half. And there's another major name that, boom, goes the dynamite again. Names, names, names coming back. Whatever they're going to do, whether it's a surprise or they're just going to announce next week, Randy Orton comes back. That's going to be a topic of conversation. And that's the thing. And we'll talk about it more on the experience. Also, we went over the ratings with AEW and the just the state of the star power in the roster. But the WWE is winning this war by leaps and bounds because they're boring us to death and giving us stars and people that we know who the fuck they are and their business is impeccably run no matter who owns it from a business standpoint the creative in wwe like all promotions ever has always been on and off or back and forth or good or bad or whatever but the reason why they beat Crockett, the reason why they beat Turner, the reason why they're beating Tony, they run their fucking business, both in terms of controlling the talent and in terms of the, the infrastructure with the merchandising and the marketing and the production and the blah, blah, blah. That's why they won all of this, because that's what they do. And now here comes another star, Randy Orton, to go along with John Cena and fucking... L.A. Knight and the Bloodline and Roman Reigns and on and on and on. And Undertaker and Rock whenever he wants to show back up. That's it. Do you slot him right into a main event spot? What do you do with him? Oh, good Lord. I'm not going to try to predict because I don't know. You watch the shows. I mean, you know who's well, kind of where on there. I mean, do you program him with a guy like Cody? But Which, I mean, well, here's the thing, because when he comes back, you would think there's another baby face if you wanted it to be that way, because he, you could tell a story he's overcome a injury or he can come back and stab somebody in the back and be a heel. Cody, you know, what his that, you, know, you know, you know what the first thing he says when he comes back should be, Hey, where's Riddle? <laughs> but no, Cody and Orton. Might be a good deal, but should he come in and stab him in the back? Or should he come in and help him? And then in six months, stab him in the back? Well, let's look at it this way then. Top baby faces, top heels. You have Cody, you have Jey Uso. I guess Rollins technically is a baby face, right? Well, one thinks. I LA guess. Knight is approaching that level. For heels, you have Roman. You have Gunther. I wouldn't put Nakamura at that level, obviously, even though he's been feuding with Seth Rollins. I wouldn't put Jimmy Uso on his own at that level, even though Jay Uso's kind of there right now. Bloodline. Well, Bloodline not in general. Blood, not Bloodline, but uh, Judgment Day. Judge, judgment Day, yeah. Would Randy Orton fit better on the babyface side, fighting along those guys, or on the heel side? I mean, eventually, I think there's a great story to be told there for Randy Orton versus Cody Rhodes. I mean, when Cody first came up, it was a part of Randy's group. With Ted DiBiase Jr. Well, see, and that's, Manu. That's one thing that I'm thinking. 
does Orton come back and get the round of applause from the fans for the, you know, for the return and he's another name coming back? Does he aid Cody if Cody's not going to have this showdown with Roman at WrestleMania? Um, then it's an old time dusty kind of thing to have a big star come in and, and stand side by side with the, the, whichever roads and then turn on him in the most heinous way possible after it's established and do that. Would that be something? Cause then you get, instead of cold, you get Orton and Rhodes with meaning behind it. Well, we will see what happens. Perhaps if he does turn on Cody Rhodes, Cody will want to sue. Well, in that case, if the man that I'm about to mention is not too busy because he's winning cases and getting judgments all over the world, he needs to call this man. Call Stephen P. You know, we got to get an update on that big $200 million lawsuit that the newlawoffice.com at Stephen P. at Stephen P. New, Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 87750Steve, has filed against Governor Jim Justice over there in the state of West Virginia. Of course, Governor Jim Justice, the father of Sid Justice. No. And uh, we, we, I wonder if that has wound its way through the court anymore. Haven't heard an update because they're trying to slow it down over there in the state of West Virginia. Can you imagine how many Tudor's Biscuit Worlds they're going to have to open to earn $200 million? But nevertheless... Hey, I got a complaint about your uh, Stephen P. New plugs. How is that? Who's complaining? One of the listeners wrote in, they said you're a liar. Well, in what way? You said the phone number is one eight seven seven five zero steve Yes. They said you're a liar. It's 5-0-Steve. They dialed 5-0-Steve and it went to the wrong place. Oh, God damn it. You see, you need to tell the truth. Do you think... And this is why 5078383 is the right way to go. Do you think that any reasonable human being in dialing a phone number is going to dial goddamn 5-0-Steve as 5-the-letter-O-Steve instead of 5-0-Steve? Any rational, reasonable human being. Well, this is one of our listeners. Clearly, it's a rational, reasonable human being. Well, one of them could have snuck in past our testing uh, <laughs> protocol. But nevertheless, if you've been wrongfully terminated, harmed, hurt, injured, slapped about, or otherwise mistreated, and you need legal recourse, regardless of whatever number you call, just make sure you call his number, Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 877 877- Five zero hey. Steve. Yeah. Five zero seven eight three eight three. Or just five zero Steve. All right. Well, we will end with uh well, I, I guess <laughs> I don't know if this is a story to end with here this week, but uh Oh boy. We'll do I don't even know if I'm gonna go to the story, but we have the headline here. This is from Cultaholic by Aiden Gibbons. Let's give him his byline for this. Marty Jannetty wants to be remembered for sex, not his wrestling. 
Do I have to go further than the headline? Just the right. headline say it all. <laughs> well, I guess that's a pretty good summation. But uh, I dare I say that maybe we want to take a look into what Marty's reasoning is for this. Uh, Gennetti often reveals aspects of his sex life on Facebook. He recently claimed to have lost his virginity at the age of five. What? Here's a quote. Here's an issue maybe you can help me with. Because I think it still affects my present life. The first time I ever had sex, I was five years old. Oh, but don't ask me about it because I was too drunk to remember it. Oh, God. That was a Ray Stevens joke, wasn't it? I don't even think he went all the way to five. I think it was like 10 or whatever, (laughs) you know. That, that's it. That, honestly, there's nothing else in this article. It's just, that's the article. That's the article. And then his links to other things. Apparently he has said or done. I'm sure there's links to other things. I then let's, let's leave Marty alone. Poor fella. All those, all those road trips with bulldog Bob Brown affected him. And possibly we shouldn't give him any more attention. I want to be remembered for my sex. Not my wrestling is <laughs> pretty funny. Jim, one last thing before we wrap things up. We kind of alluded to it earlier in the review. Uh, official word came out this week. Arn Anderson left AEW, I believe, in August. And Brock Anderson, his contract has come up. He is no longer with AEW. Any thoughts on Arn and Brock leaving AEW? Okay, honestly, I saw Brock that his contract was up. I didn't know Arn was gone. I saw that from a couple different people. I will try to double check that. They told me he left in August. Well, I'm not doubting you. I just hadn't hadn't seen it actually reported or heard about it but um i i mean good lord brock is is they signed him for what a couple of years i guess it's been a couple of years ago we first saw him he's not been on television nothing even against him tony fiscally as a businessman one of these days ought to get rid of most of the talent he doesn't put on real television uh with arn jesus it it's not like it didn't look to me like anybody was listening to what Arn Anderson would say when it came to, yeah, you should do this or don't do that. So I don't know what what good he was doing besides, I'm sure it was nice to have, you know, a regular employment gig, but I would think that hopefully at his age and with that regular employee employee gig being only a day a week or whatever, that he's not in any immediate need to go to work or get a part-time job. It it's a it's a shame that you cannot figure out a way in your wrestling company to utilize properly and productively a guy like Arn Anderson but they never figured out a way to do it on camera. And like I said, I didn't see the evidence of a lot of people listening to anything he'd say about wrestling, at least as far as what I've the years I've known him, so what the hey? Well, what the hey? This has been the drive through. I've said this a few times. I mean it this time. Next week's songs and the usual <laughs> outro return. But you guys wouldn't believe how slammed Jim and I have been lately. But again, everything returns next week. And the I've been I've been scooped, and you've been powered. And the experience returns before you know it. Maybe by the time you hear this, who knows? <laughs> Until next week for Jim Cornette. I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho!